Hey everybody, welcome back to the Chase Doesn't Know podcast. Thank you so much for coming back and listening to this episode. Um, I haven't done this before, but um, I'll just mention quickly because I don't want to self-plug too much. But if you're not subscribed to the podcast, you can do that if you would like. And if you haven't given a rating to the podcast, you can also do that if you would like through your podcast app. Five stars is appreciated, but not required. My guest for this episode is Jonathan Snyder, Mr. Jonathan Snyder, a gentleman and a scholar, and a very well-rounded individual who stays very busy with many different things, as you will hear. He's a pastor, a business owner. He went to business school for his undergrad and is now, as he tells me in this episode, getting his MBA. He is getting his pilot's license and, most famously, and the thing that has catapulted him, catapulted him, if I could say the word, catapulted him into the spotlight. He is running for Metro Council in East Baton Parish for District 11. Thanks again to Jonathan for agreeing to come chat with me. Um, you'll hear the story in this episode of how I reached out to him. Very cool little setup. And I, w- I was lucky enough for him to say yes, to come on uh, and share his life and his insights and ideas and visions for the future in the church and also in the city and parish. So I really enjoyed this chat and I hope you enjoy our chat here for the next couple of hours. I would like to also thank my sponsor for this episode. Again, it's Raising Canes and Central. More on that at the end of this episode. Believe me, you will want to hear this ad. I know everyone hates ads, but everyone loves Raising Canes. That's a fact. Um, And you need to hear it at the end of the episode because there might be a surprise. Thank you again, Jonathan. Thank you to our sponsor. Thank you for listening to this episode. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jonathan Snyder. Jonathan Snyder, thank you so much for coming. We've never, well, we've met before. In passing. Yeah, in passing. And you're really, really good friends with a relative in-law of mine, Darian, um, my wife's cousin. So our paths have sort of crossed a few times, um, but it's great to have you down here to talk with me and hopefully get to know you a little better yeah, over the next here. four or five hours. No, <laughs> four or five hours. He said he, he said he'd stay as long as I wanted. So no, I'm just kidding. Uh, and cut me off if we get too long-winded. Not a problem at all. <laughs> but so I want to start. We so I purposefully didn't. All right, just a brief thing. I mean, there's an intro to this that people will know, but your pastor business owner and future politician. Yes. I guess if, if you're campaigning, you're a politician. I'm so a politician. You're a politician. Okay. So there's like the main three from my perception, but I purposefully did not go since we, since you agreed to come on, go to your website and read or anything like that, because I wanted to ask you when you were here and hear, and hear it from, from the man. Yeah. Um, so can you give me, I want to maybe start actually a few minutes ago, I requested to follow you on Instagram. You did. I, did, I didn't go. I didn't go into deep research before this. Uh, sometimes I do, but <laughs> but just a few minutes ago, when you accepted or approved my follow request, I saw a photo of you and another gentleman in front of an airplane. Yes. So, uh, do you fly? Do you like flying? So I'm in the process of getting my pilot's license. I'm wow. at 65-ish hours. Uh, fun hobby of mine. You see his so, face. Yeah. <laughs> see, now he's regretting not not having a mic. <clears throat> so you're in the process. In the process, a little bit over 65 hours. And so I kind of put things on pause with political campaign and right. work stuff right now. Okay. Uh, but I will finish soon. So, so what's the, uh, so me and Carl know a little bit. Carl's, yeah. my grandfather is a pilot okay. and he's, he's been like, you can get your pilot's license forever. And then Carl, like the last few years has been 
I'm getting my Paula's light. We haven't, neither one of us have done anything about it yet because uh, we don't have the money. But or Carl does. He has a lot of money. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so explain the process of like what, uh, what it is to get your pilot's license. Yeah. So been interested in flying kind of all my life. Uh, just, been, just been interested in aviation, that sort of thing. And so I never thought I could become a pilot. I was like, how, how do you do that process? Yeah. And so a buddy of mine who I used to work with, his whole family, his grandpa, his dad, he's a pilot. Uh, he's like, it's actually simpler than you think. I mean, <laughs> if you have a little bit of money, yeah. he said, uh, they offer classes at the Baton Airport. Right. Um, and so I signed up and I've actually, like I said, completed around 65 hours. I've soloed already, which was incredible. Nice. It's also kind of awesome. freaky, but it's like, I'm, I'm, this is it. We're doing it. Yeah. Uh, and it's super exhilarating, but so how many hours, like what's the requirement to where you, they say, here's your yeah, pilot's so license? Technically, I'm past the minimum. I could take my test today. Okay. Uh, but I want to get a little more flying under my belt. You have to, so you have to pass flying portion, oral portion, and then also written. And so, okay. Yeah. Um, and then what's the, uh, how many like flights do you, I'm asking like, yeah. we're going to go very deep on we're stuff, going very by deep the way. On flight, so yeah. if I ask like super in the weeds questions, just roll with it. Um, so what, how many uh, hours do you have to do flying with someone before you could do your solo? That is a, I should know this answer. I don't, <laughs> I don't know the answer. Uh, I'm not sure. How many flights did you, did you have to do? I'm probably at 40, 50 flights already. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So is it, and so some of them are really quick and then some of them, yeah. typically the lessons were about two and a half hours or three hours total, but two and a half hours of flying, uh, do a little pre-lesson on the front end, debrief on the back end. Uh, but yeah, majority flying. Okay. And then do you, like, if I wanted to go start tomorrow, yeah. I just call up, like, who does it at you the airport? Gulf Coast Aviation. Okay. And Give then I just, like, yeah. what, register Gulf Coast Aviation? Gulf, yeah. yeah. Sponsored by this episode? <laughs> no. Uh, so I just, like, register and pay a fee, and then, like, is there class so times? You, or? You, you pay per class, and then you sign up. You have It's one-on-one instruction. Oh, okay. Uh, so you Fancy. schedule out using their website and three-hour time blocks and... So even the classes are one-on-one. Classes are one-on-one. Oh, wow. Everything's one-on-one, yeah. They're taking it serious. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, and there's a lot, I would say, there's a lot of homework that you don't realize on the front end mm-hmm. outside of the classroom, just kind of learning on your own and kind of understanding the ins and outs uh, of aviation. The flying is one-on-one. Right. But you got to do some homework outside the classroom, so. What's the most difficult thing to learn or to oh, remember? Well, well, I would say landing's the most difficult thing just because mm. every situation is different. It's so dependent <clears throat> on what are the winds doing, wind speeds, and that sort of thing, uh, and even what elevation you're landing at, that it's different every time. You can land on the same airport. You, we've done a couple of touch and goes, yeah. and we land five or six times, same runway, and every time's different. Really? <laughs> uh, takeoff is so easy. You, you, you see people, I remember seeing an article a while back, like, someone stole a plane. I was like, how did they steal a plane? Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, makes sense. It's yeah, really it's easy really to take easy. off. So. <laughs> I've actually, I have actually taken off a, quite a few times with my grandfather okay. and flown around, but I have actually landed a plane by myself once. Okay. It was like a little... I think, I think it was actually like a kit, kit plane. Okay. It wasn't my grandfather's. It was like a little light dinky thing. And the guy, the guy was with me and okay. like, you know, was yeah, I was not on. by myself. That's I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he told me what to do. And I, he, I don't think he helped me. I think I actually landed. landed. But anyways, um, so what's your, so you just have love doing it. it do, you just want to get it for recreation mainly. Want to get it for recreation. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What's the, uh, have you flown like as part of the course, I guess, have you flown like outside of the Baton Rouge area yet? I've flown to, it's flown to Mississippi, uh, flown, yeah, only Mississippi, actually. Okay. I think outside the state, Mississippi. So <laughs> Cool. And are you going to buy a plane? I, that is a goal one day, yes. Yeah. I, and even, maybe even going with a couple of friends, it's, it's cheaper than one would imagine. Well, there we go. We yeah. have a third person now, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we could put it in the flight school. 
uh-huh. and we could rent it out. And so it would make money. It for would us. make money. Yeah. Wow. Or at the very least, we could break even, which is a win for flying. So absolutely. Yeah. Because it's not exactly the cheapest thing ever. It's not a cheap hobby. How much is the fuel for that plane? Because I know you have to pay for it. Yeah, so well, it's covered. In, it's so it's covered oh, in the it's, fee. Okay. So everything's covered in there. Uh, the the class ranges anywhere from twelve to fifteen thousand. Total. So, total. So yeah. like after 50, about fifteen grand at the most, you have your license. Yes. Provided you didn't fail or yeah. Or provided crash. you know how to fly a plane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> who's the so who's like the instructor? So there's different out there. There's different instructors. <clears throat> uh, I use Nathan Stone. He was great. Um, yeah. Cool. There's, you can, so there's different instructors. You can even so you have one instructor that you're primarily with, but let's say he or she's out of town, you can book another instructor and. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So it's always a, intimidating when you fly with someone you've never flown with because you, you're like, I, I think I know what I'm doing. I think I know what I'm doing, but I wonder what, if they're judging me and yeah. am, I, am I saying the right lingo? And so, Like, have you felt, has anybody like uh, corrected you like in the moment? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've been, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've like, taken that, over the, the, the yoga, like, no, you're doing it wrong. No, I have not had the plane taken over. Okay. Cra- wait, crazy story. So I, on one of my solos, I was landing in the Baton Rouge airport. Um, and they give me a runway, you know, clearance to, to, to land and I'm getting closer and closer to the airport and they're like, Skyhawk 2473 Zulu, are you landing on one three or three one? And I, I knew the clearance they gave me, I think it was one three. Um, and turns out I was on the opposite side oh, and wow. I said, Hey, <laughs> actually a student pilot, they, 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 they say, Hey, if you ever get in this situation, let them know you're a student pilot, they'll guide you. Uh, and so I said, Hey, I'm a student pilot, a little nervous. I've never flown in the, the Baton Rouge airport by myself without nobody in the plane. Uh, and they said, oh, no worries. Bad news at Joy Airport. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was in New Orleans or somewhere, it would have been an issue. But They would get yelled at, maybe, yeah. or strongly uh, <laughs> talked at. Yes. Yeah. What are you doing? I've watched quite a few videos on YouTube of, like, uh, you know, pilots and, like, the ra- radio communication and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, the craziest thing that most people don't realize about flying and that I, you know, I thought was pretty crazy once I learned it was that doesn't matter what airport it's at could be atlanta like the biggest airport and you could have the smallest dinkiest plane but you have just as much and correct me if i'm wrong you have just as much authority come once you're given clearance as the big you do triple seven yeah once it wants to give you the clearance it's your runway so everybody else has to wait on you yeah (laughs) it's been it's been fun you know being in a little cessna yeah and big you know jetliners are waiting on you to take off you're like okay this is real (laughs) wait in line folks wait wait for me (laughs) that's cool um Okay, so I wanted to hear a little bit about uh, your backstory. Yeah. And like, I don't even know if you was were born and raised in Baton Rouge and like, just give me some of the uh, some of the backstory to how you got here today. Sure, so uh, born in Destrehan, Louisiana. Okay. So about an hour away, uh, St. Charles Parish. Um, and so yeah, grew up there, got mom, dad, two sisters. Uh, one, I guess kind of interesting fact, uh, my mom is white, dad's black, and so that was a fun kind of dynamic growing up. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then I thought I was going to be the only child forever, uh, oh, forever meaning eight and a half you. years. Okay, uh, my, nice. my second sister, or first sister was born, uh, and then I've got a sister who's even younger. So uh, I'm 27, uh, I've got a sister who's 18, and then another one who's 13. So okay. got some gaps. You're double uh, your younger sister's age I am. right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I left yeah. for college and she was super young and now she's grown up. <laughs> uh, now she's a teenager. Uh, but yeah, grew up in Destrehan, um, and I guess one thing that's kind of always defined my life, especially starting in middle school, uh, is my faith. And so, started following Jesus, you know, around I think around 13 or so. I guess sister's age right now. Um, and kind of what that did for me is, I'd say my worldview has always like been bigger because I even yes, yeah, so like how did you know get involved in flying or most of my hobbies, 
has been through like started following Jesus and started serving at my church. Um, and I remember going to this conference growing up and they were, they put on the screens like, hey, if you want to make a difference, you know, like go on a missions trip, you know, and you can help, you can share your faith with other people, especially people who are in extreme uh, poverty. Um, and so I remember signing up at one of those youth conferences um, and my parents, I was like, hey, I'm going to South Africa for my entire summer. And they're like, wait a second. Like, <laughs> like well, you can go to Jamaica your first year for two weeks. That's, that's, that's a negotiation. Yeah. Um, but all throughout high school, one, like one, one thing that's kind of always shaped my life is uh, went to Jamaica for two weeks. That following summer, I was in South Africa for a month. So I finally got to do that. Nice. And then the following year, I was in India for two months. So the whole summer. Um, and so, and this, how old were you when in this? I period? was uh, in high school, so okay. probably six, uh, maybe 15, 16, 17. Okay. Um, and so, big like, kind of life moment for me, 17 years old in India. Uh, we're there for, you know, two and a half months, and we're in, going throughout all these little villages, meeting people, sharing Jesus. People, some people have never heard the gospel before. Um, but then also, we're in this village one time, and I see these people huddle up around. What I now know was a water well, and they're pumping water. Um, and so I asked our country contact, I said, hey, what's this all about? And he said, well, that water well right there provides water to this village and then three others. So people are walking from miles away to get clean water. There's not clean water anywhere. Uh, typically, they would you know, dig a hole and drink that water and kill so many people. Uh, and I said, so how much does that cost to, to dig? And he said, $1,100. Hmm. And so I'm like, you're kidding me. Like We had 60 of us on that team for two and a half months. And we all brought more spending money than that. Like mm-hmm. I was like, we could dig 60 wells easy right now. Um, and so I get home from that trip and start looking at, you know, clean water statistics. And at that point in time, it's like 880 million people worldwide did not have access to clean water. Wow. And I was like, what, what in the world? And mm-hmm. I remember even getting back and we had a vacation Bible school at my church and we've got water bottles like spread out across the whole mm-hmm. area when everybody went outside. I'm just like, people don't have clean water. Uh, but, but, as I was like doing research in that time, that was about, I think eight months after the earthquake hit Haiti, if you remember that earthquake. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so cholera spreading, it's a uh, waterborne disease. And so that's spreading everywhere. Uh, and so every year or every senior year for high school, you have to do a senior project. Uh, and I said, well, I'm gonna dig up well in, in, uh, in Haiti. And so I tell the person who does senior projects this, and she's like, you raised money to go on mission trips before, like you raising money for a well, it actually isn't a good enough senior project. She said, it's not, it's not good enough. And I was like, wow, what in the world? Like, and my, my, my teachers at the time were like, she, she didn't improve that. I was like, she didn't improve it. So wow. I said, well, I said, how about, what if I raised the money to do that? And I'll also make a documentary while I'm there. I'll film the whole thing and my project will be on, you know, video production, that sort of thing. She said, approved. I said, okay, cool, I'll do that. <laughs> uh, but I was 17 at the time, like I said, and so started, reaching out to different organizations. Um, and the first uh, 12 told me, hey, while well, we'd love to have you, you're welcome to raise money for our organization. Uh, you of actually course. can't come here. Yeah, you can raise money, you can send the check. <laughs> raise all the money you want and send it to us. <laughs> but you actually can't come here. You're 17 years old and it's chaos right now. Yeah. Um, and if you remember my senior project, you know, person told me, hey, you need, the, the well isn't enough, so you've got to do a video. So I was like, yeah. I, have to, I have to go. Uh, so I just, I mean, I was reaching out to people over email, you know, just mm-hmm. organizations. And the 13th organization finally said, yeah, we'd love to have you. Wow. And so. Uh, lucky number 13. Lucky number 13. Who would have thought? <laughs> um, and so ended up in Haiti, uh, raised, you know, a little bit over $3,000 to do a well. And we, I mean, a lot of it was raising money in local high schools, elementary schools, teaching about the problem of unclean water. Um, we had like dress down days where kids could pay like a dollar and wear whatever they want. Um, 
But uh, dug that well in Haiti. And my, I think my favorite moment of that experience was we were in Haiti, the well's dug, uh, and a mom comes up to me and she's talking in Creole and a translator translates, but she said, she's crying. And she said, I never thought I'd see the day where my kids had clean water. And I was like, what? It's like, it's just, it's still surreal to just even think about that. I was, like I said, 17 at the time. And there's this mom out there who's probably in her 40s who looks at me and says, yeah, I never thought kids have clean water. So mm -hmm. did that well project in Haiti and then the following year did one in Uganda. And so like that has shaped my life. Like I love to travel, but the reason why I left to travel is I love helping people. And so. That's cool. Yeah. That's a great story. So who was the organization that let you go? Living Hope Mission. Okay. Living Hope. F funny story. We get there. And okay. so the only contact we have with that organization is just kind of over email. We, I think we had a couple phone calls, but. Who, who all who all went uh, went with so you there? It, so it was myself and actually my mentor Jeremy Dark. Okay, he went with me. Okay, uh, so we kept it pretty small. It was mm -hmm. it was majority. They had a, te a a drilling team there already. So it was us, you know, going through the well, meeting the people, uh, and me videoing everything. Right. And so, <laughs> um, so we get there though, and he's a Haitian guy. He's married to an American. And he tells us within the first 20 minutes of us being on the property, there's like guards and all, which is common there. So that wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, but he tells us, hey, a couple of weeks ago, I was kidnapped. Um, wow. I was held for ransom. Everybody knows my wife is, is from is American. So they thought we, have, thought we had money. We don't, but they thought we had money. Wow. Uh, and he said some kind of way he, I mean, they had him tied up and that sort of thing. And he was in the back of a car and they, people, you know, kind of kidnappers went out, went out of the car and some kind of way he's able to, maneuver self, get out, you know, take the thing over his head and get back home. Wow. Uh, just like running away, running away. And he tells us this after we land. There. Right, it's like, course. that would have been, been a yeah, good heads up to course. know beforehand. <laughs> like to tell us those kind of things. Uh, so my mentor was kind of looking at me like, how did you not know? Like, is this legit? Like, how did you not know? And yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know. So yeah. <laughs> but you didn't get kidnapped. I did not get kidnapped. I was fine. And yeah, seriously, that well was, I mean, yeah, incredible. Yeah. So how, so that trip, how long were you there? I was there a little over a week. Uh, it was actually during it was during my Mardi Gras break. Oh, nice! Uh, and so we flew in there, and the well took a little. I think it was about four days to be dug. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How, so how do they actually dig and set up a well? Yeah. So it depends on where you're at. So the the one I did in Haiti, because I mean Haiti's mm -hmm. surrounded by water, you're not digging as deep. So we kind of had some kind of makeshift, mm -hmm. you know, drill. We've also done one in Uganda where we had to uh, like send in a drill, a rig from uh, from Rwanda. And because okay. I mean, Uganda's in the middle of Africa, and so that one you're digging so much deeper. So, so Haiti was like a simple one. Mm -hmm. Uganda was like you're digging forever, you know, and right. so, before you hit clean water or hit water even there. But um, yeah. so how many so how many trips have you taken uh, doing that? And and is it with the same organization each time? Uh, with different organizations, uh, I've done two well projects. So the Haiti and Uganda okay. one. Okay. Uh, I've done mission trips kind of all over. I mean, South Africa, Mozambique, Uganda. Uh, India, Jamaica, Mexico, Germany, you kind of name it. Yeah. So what, um, what I guess I'm kind of interested to know, like how your percept, how you, maybe you think your perceptions changed and how traveling, you know, cause you hear about, yeah. you should always travel the world to see how other people live and yes. that sort of thing. And, um, and doing some of, you know, doing some traveling myself, sometimes it is like kind of a shock to come, to like see how other people do things and then come back here and be like, why do we do stuff like this sure. way? What's some, what's maybe, uh, do you have anything that has stood out to you or kind of maybe you changed the way that you wanted to live your life because sure. of something that you seen while traveling? Sure. I think, especially going to like third world countries, uh, just having a perspective and even worldview shift of, 
so often we complain about the issues that we have here and you even mm-hmm. hear the first world problems jokes but mm-hmm. but seriously like there are literally people right now that don't have clean water and we've got water right here and it's we pulled it out of the fridge it wasn't a big deal yeah uh and so just being appreciative for like the small things like uh i was in germany one time and we that this was during the kind of the refugee crisis so a lot of people were passing through germany um and there was this family who has much of nothing and we met them talking to them they invite us into their little apartment and with the little they have food wise they cook us a meal they welcome us in they have us have us for tea and just they have very little but just you you would never know like they have probably as much maybe even more joy than some of us and they're just they're just thankful people and people you know who say hey whatever whatever i have is yours uh and that's kind of one thing that i've kind of brought back with me is hey whatever i have is for everyone else mm-hmm. like sure can i enjoy it? you bet but uh, we yeah we gotta do this thing together so right um so i, I had a couple of thoughts while you're telling me yeah. one is if somebody uh somebody wanted to do something like that they haven't traveled before um and maybe they're not even you know religious or anything like that how would you suggest maybe they uh get started on the path if they want to do some mission work sure yeah even i mean even like even if people are like hey i'm passionate about humanitarian work so water well crisis or education or food feeding programs that sort of thing there are so many organizations both stateside and in those countries that you can reach out to and they and they do trips from time to time you can literally google you know, the Compassion Internationals who help sponsor kids or World Vision who helps, you know, they do Wells food, they do a little bit of everything, uh, but they take trips periodically with people. Charity Water, uh, they're a big uh, com- a big organization that does Wells and uh, they take trips with people all the time. And, and and their big thing is we want you to see, like come firsthand and see things because we know mm-hmm. that's, where the, that's where the lasting change is. Uh, I can tell people who, I, even my family, like I can tell them about these issues, but they haven't really been there. So while they are like, wow, that's, that's an issue and that's a problem, until you meet people face-to-face and realize that, like that 880 million number I talked about with clean water, it's like each of those people has a name and a story. And it's easy to throw around statistics, but when you meet that person and meet that name, it, it changes things. Well, it becomes so more true, real. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, Google. That's, I, so even how I found those 13 organizations I've re- reached out to, Google. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> Google then emailed. Google, yeah. And don't give up after the first And few. don't give up. Just keep on going. If you really want to do That's it. That's right. Yeah. Um, what uh, is the documentary or the video that you did uh, on YouTube somewhere? It is on YouTube. It's so that I don't, I haven't looked at it forever, but it was called <laughs> Hope for Haiti was the project name. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, it's out there for sure. And so we did a well and a feeding program at one of the schools. So I think we fed around 300 kids for the rest of the school year. Nice. That's uh, awesome. And so it's it's funny. I still had hair in the video. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, the, my wardrobe was funny. You should. I'm gonna go look for that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. <laughs> I'll send it to you if I find it first. Send it to me. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to uh, check that out. Yeah. Um. So I'm curious. because uh, you're what you're a pastor at Antioch or associate pastor. Yeah. What is your actual role? Title is executive pastor at Antioch Baton Rouge. Okay. Um. And so, like you mentioned earlier, you <clears throat> started following Jesus when you were 13. Is that 13? Yeah. So what, um, I'm curious to hear kind of, um, being, or maybe your perspective on how America sees Christ and faith versus some of these people that you interacted with in third world countries or Germany, which is not a third world country, but you're doing work there as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think so often you hear the term, or I don't know if a lot of people hear this term, but like cultural Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say in America, 
especially in the South, you ask people, are you a Christian? Are you a Jesus follower? The answer is yes. And a lot of times it's this cultural thing. It's because everyone else is doing it. Yeah, I follow God. I go to, tr- I go to church. That might be it. Uh, like that might be the, the definition that people use, or even I go to church from Christmas and Easter. Uh, but whenever, I, I guess whenever I look at the American church and I look at churches elsewhere, there's like churches in China who literally, n- they don't tell anyone they're meeting mm-hmm. because if, if the government found out, they're going to be put to death. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to say their faith is stronger than ours, but it's definitely being tested. And you, you read scripture about how, you know, different apostles and disciples were stoned and martyred and it sounds so foreign and you think, well, it's 2020, that those kind of things don't happen. But you go to those countries and that's real. And um, say answer your question? Yeah, for okay, sure. Good, yeah, good. I just wanted to get kind of yeah. your sense on, well, even, on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Now I think so often we've tried to, especially in, in the States, like make the gospel in our culture kind of mix. Mm-hmm. And it it really is counterintuitive. You read scripture and it's like, it just doesn't. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> It's hard to you know read the, the letters of Paul and he's in prison writing and you look at our day-to-day lives and we want comfort and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, oh, that's, that's not the gospel. Mm-hmm. It might be our culture, but we're missing it in some places. Right. Um, see, I mentioned before that I, I, I forget questions and I've yeah. just done it. You should have typed a, it on your phone. I know. You I should, should you can do that. I had a good one. Um, I'll, maybe it'll come back to me because yeah. uh, I think it was a pretty good one. Um, but so what, uh, let's talk about your role at Antioch and, um, and like what you do, is it, um, are you there working there most days or is it just preaching every week or, and how, how big is Antioch? Cause I've heard of it, but I'm not, I've never attended or. Yeah. So our church, so Antioch, uh, whenever I moved here to Baton Rouge in 2011, it wasn't started yet. It actually got started and planted in 2012. Uh, it was a group that came from Waco, Texas at Antioch Waco. I know when people hear Waco, everybody's like kind of freaked out, but they're, <laughs> they're n- normal people. Uh, but they started the church here. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about the Waco uh, Netflix. Right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, but That's yeah. drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, but they moved here in 2012, started the church. And one of my best friends in college, he knew uh, the college pastor at the time and said, yeah, you should come check this out. But the church currently is about 250 people. Uh, we actually don't have a building yet. So we meet at the Dunham School here in town. Oh, okay. uh, and so every week we set up, we tear down. Um, and even you say, like, what does my day-to-day look like? At one point in time, we had offices. Uh, and then October of last year, we made a decision, hey, could we do without offices for a little bit, save that money, and eventually uh, either do a long-term lease of the building or buy a building? So since October of 2019, we haven't had offices. And so That's cool. I work a lot from coffee shops. And then our big staff meetings happen at our lead pastor's house. Uh, or on Zoom. Or on, or on Zoom. I, w- I was on two Zoom meetings today, actually. Nice. First one at 6.30 this morning. Oh, that's brutal. Uh, Who did that? Yeah. Our el- we have an elder meeting every other Tuesday at 6.30 just because uh, all the guys are busy. And so are all the them. are all the elders mostly older? Or? They are. I Yes. Yeah. I find myself in rooms so often. Where at, they're up at like 5 a.m. They were up at 3. Go. They yeah, were like, yeah, yes. of course. Uh, <laughs> But uh, my day-to-day, so exec- my role is executive pastor, so I may teach once or twice a year. That's kind of it. But day-to-day, kind of main responsibilities are managing our staff, uh, doing staff development, uh, over-budgeting stuff. Uh, kind of our, our lead pastor, his name's Donnie Martin. He's a big-picture visionary. He's an incredible man of God. Um, and so he's vision, vision, vision. And I kind of help him get practical with that. If we, wanna, we say we want to do this, how do we make that become a reality and even help our staff in that? So that's what day-to-day looks like. Cool. Um, 
I will definitely want to come back to that. Yeah. But I remember my question. Right, let's do it. So I want to get, let me ask you about something that could potentially be a little controversial, I guess. That's you. But, um, uh, mainly about Americans going on mission trips because yes. there's people with strong opinions on both sides. Like yes. we should be going on mission trips and all, but then you have other people that say, um, you know, Americans go on mission trips, mission trips, not for those people, but for themselves. Yes. So what's your opinion on, on that yeah. being as an American who's been on quite sure. a few. So couple dynamics, like I, first and foremost, I would say my worldview was forever changed. Uh, just from the, those just first from, two just weeks from going and, on those mission trips, even yeah. the first the two week one in Jamaica. Yeah. Uh, but there are books out there like When Helping Hurts and things like that. I think if Americans go to third world countries or anywhere with the perspective of entitlement and I'm doing these people a favor, that's where we miss it. I think we can go with wanting to help. But whenever we think, oh, I'm an American, I know better. That's when there's issues. And so I think if we're going to go on trips for two weeks or for a month and leave it at that, It'll help our worldview, and that's great, but I don't know if it'll help the people. Mm -hmm. So even a lot of the projects I do, uh, even like in Uganda, South Africa, we're not doing a ton of handouts, even though the need, I mean, there's people without shoes, without clothing, without, you know, uh, what am I trying to say, houses, mm -hmm. like they're living in huts. And, and you would think, well, let's just give all these people money mm -hmm. and handouts, and that'll help. But studies have shown if you just give people handouts, they're going to be looking for you again and saying, hey, well, I, I need more, mm -hmm. you know, we, we need this. But really, even it, like so, even in the the project that we did in Uganda with the well, uh, some things we looked at is uh, agriculturally. How can we help these people out? How can we start a garden here, and these people can grow their own fruit, crops, whatever, and then they can sell that, and then it becomes sustainable for them. Uh, and one one big thing I'd say with any of those organizations, if you team up with, is make sure that there's a contact in that country, whether it be for Christian work or even humanitarian work. But because if you just go there and do your thing and leave. There's no sustainability in that. But when mm -hmm. there's someone on the ground who's typically native from that community, or at least from the country, but even from the community is even better, that, that's where the lasting change can happen. But if you think you're going to plop in for two weeks to a month, you know, take some selfies uh, <laughs> with, you know, Africans and mm -hmm. post them on your Instagram and mm -hmm. people are like loving that and liking that. And wow, so holy of you, you're missing it. I, I will say this. I have, I, especially initially, I would go on those trips thinking I was... I was, I'm going to go help these people out. And I think, you know, God used me, whatever. But so often my life was changed. I mean, I talk about my whole worldview has changed. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think approach those trips with less of I'm going to help these people out and more of I'm here to be used. Once again, like I said, like my stuff is your stuff kind of thing, and I'm here, but I'm not this entitled American who thinks I know everything. Like I can't go in as a learner, go in humble learn. So often Americans show up and they think they understand culture mm -hmm. and they are so culturally insensitive and just don't understand things. Like go in low and go in as a learner. Uh, and I try to do that in third world context, but anywhere, like whether, you know, you're a homeless person on the side of the road or you're a big CEO, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 500 CEO, like you can learn from both of those people. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Cool. Um, that kind of brought to mind uh, another question of, you know, the, um, and like a faith question here. Yeah. So, uh, hey. if you're listening, be prepared. I'm a no. pastor. So. <laughs> we have the pastor on the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, there's, so how am I trying to ask it? You know, you get saved by putting your trust in Christ, right? Sure. Uh, and then according to the Bible, your sins are forgiven, you're going to heaven. Uh, but then there's the other kind of aspect of that where, you know, the Bible talks about faith without works is dead, that yeah. whole line of thinking. So, 
you talking about the impact that missions ha- has had and the huge need across the world, um, we are commanded by God to share the gospel. Um, do you think that uh, if a if and I'm, I guess I'm thinking mainly of Americans, yeah. Um, if an American is claiming to be a Christian, do you think that they almost not required to do mission work or missionary work or go on mission trips or think maybe not required, but is it, uh, do you think that it's like, it's going to be an, uh, an inevitable need for them to do that sort of thing? Good question. Uh, so I, I would say, I think every Christian, so whether from America or from, you know, South Africa, We've been, we start following Jesus and we're man, mandated by God and go into the world and make disciples. Um, and if you look at the three places where Jesus told people to make disciples, it started, it was both locally and then it was outside more regional and then more global. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think, I think for everyone, I don't want to say everyone's required to go to, to a different country or, or something like that. I do think every Christian, especially American Christians, should carry the nations on their heart. And what I mean by that is that could mean giving two missionaries and other kind of like, you know, abroad that could be praying for those people consistently and it could be going. Uh, but I think carrying that in some regard. Um, and so I don't think you necessarily have to go. I think, and even I would say this, it starts in your home. Like so many, so, so many people are quick to Google the, how can I make a difference in Uganda and go there and you look around their community and they don't know their neighbors. Mm-hmm. They don't know the organizations in, you know, Baton Rouge per se. Uh, and so it's just both and. It's, it's an approach of, hey, I'm going to be faithful where God has me, where I live, but then also I'm going to be faithful to the nations. Uh, so both and, uh, yeah. There's definitely like so many more questions I could ask you, but the way you just explained that is a perfect segue. Okay. If we can jump on the segue into me asking you, is that, um, has that been a big contributing factor as to why you are now running for an office here in Baton Rouge? Yes. Uh, so, yes, huge contributing factor. I mean, even being a pastor and seeing, hey, we want to make a difference. As a church, we always say we want to be a church for the whole city. Mm-hmm. And so often I come against, not come up against, but I realize unless you're in the rooms that are making some of the decisions, so our city's infrastructure or education or economy, there's only so much you can do. I mean, you can say you want to be a church for the whole city, but until you actually get in those rooms and are helping make those decisions that shape things, it's hard. Um, and then the second, the big reason why I'm running is, so I came here in 2011 to go to LSU and I fell in love with the city. I mean, I'm, I'm from an hour away, so I'm not that far away, mm-hmm. but fell in love with Baton Rouge and especially the people and just, yeah, love it. Um, and then I graduate and so many of my friends who had the same experience, who loved Baton Rouge, life was changed here, moved away. It was for jobs. It was because, well, hey, I want to raise a family and the school systems aren't great. I've got to go elsewhere. Uh, the, you know, we talked about the infrastructure. I had some friends from out of town the other week and we're driving on, you know, government <laughs> yeah. and the road, you know, so, and, but, but sadly it was like, everyone thinks, you know, better's outside of Baton Rouge. And so I'm like, I, I want to raise a family here. I want to live here long term. I want this to be my home forever. Uh, but something's got to change. And if I think someone else is going to do it, then that's partially, partially me. It's like, Hey, I have a responsibility to help our city become better. And so that, that's a big reason why I'm running. Cool. Um, so, and by the way, if you need to like take a break, you haven't drank any water yet. Oh, I'm great. So you're a champion. Yeah. Uh, getting, I'm sure you've had <laughs> lots of practice the last few weeks. I've been talking a lot. When was, uh, when was the date that you announced you're running? And then when, uh, what was the date you decided, yes, I am going to run? The date I announced, I, I want to say it was, I'm trying to think of the, of the 
document that I wrote there from. I think it's dated July 24th, if I remember okay. correctly. That was the uh, day I texted you to come on the... Or maybe yeah, I think that's, that's when I announced after. it. Yeah, my, yeah. it was the 20, 23rd, 24th of July. Um, and I decided, you know, during the summer, early summer, uh, that I want to run. So cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I, the reason that you're sitting here is because yeah. I saw the open letter that you put out yes. uh, and it was detailing why you're running and who yeah. you are and things like that. And then you put your personal cell phone number yes. in it, um, which is always a risk, not a risk, but it's always <laughs> like not always advised to do to put your public your cell phone number out in the public but sure. not only did you put it on the internet you also put it out uh, attached with hey i'm now becoming a politician <laughs> yeah so i was just opening the can of worms so i text yeah so i texted you and said congrats props for putting your number in there yeah. uh and we've run into each other a couple times will you be on my podcast yes so thanks helped. again for coming yeah. uh but um so can you let's talk about the metro council for a little bit yeah i'm uh have become a lot more familiar with the metro council over the past year or two working in, at a real estate company. Yeah. Um, but can you explain like what the Metro council is that sure. I know there's different districts, one yeah. person from each district, something like that. Yeah, so, so give me some the rundown on that. So East Baton Rouge Metro council, we have 12 districts. And so each different, each district represented by someone different. Uh, I'm running for district 11. So that makes up, um, kind of where government in Jefferson or sorry, government, yeah, government in Jefferson meet mm -hmm. Goodwood area, Bocage, Drusilla, Sumatera, uh, Jefferson Terrace, Wimbledon, just kind of that area. It's actually a, a unique layout if you look at a map, Priscilla. Uh, <laughs> and this is the districts cover the whole parish. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, there's multiple district. There's multiple districts in a parish. Is that what, right? Is that what right. Yeah, but yeah, it covers yeah. the whole thing. Yes. But there's yes. twelve, and there's, there's 12. The, it's the covers parish the broken up into twelve. Yes. Got it. Um, and <clears> so, yeah, I mean that's kind of the layout of it. And then day to day, I think part of my campaign is so many people will say, well, what does the council even do? Right. And so part, part of the campaign is even informing people. Like mm -hmm. if we inform people, that, that'd be incredible. So uh, a couple different big things. So every single year, mayor president submits budget mm -hmm. uh, to the council and the council is in charge of saying yay or nay to that. So approving the budget. So often we talk about infrastructure and yada, yada, yada. And so, so much of that is contingent on budget. So it's approving the, looking at the budget and saying, hey, this is, money will allocate or it's not uh, some planning and zoning thing. So for instance, we're a church, we're looking at uh, a couple of different properties right now. One is in a shopping center. Uh, right now that's zoned as retail. Mm -hmm. So that would have to be rezoned to a church. That would have to go before the council, get approved. Um, yeah. So yeah, but a lot of it's things like bringing things before the council to make changes on. So whether that be budget, taxes, you name it. Uh, yeah. So is that... Um is that like writing laws or is it more of like, I don't know, r rules probably isn't it's, a term, It's more propose, proposing new legislation, so laws, okay. uh, and, and getting that approved on a local scale. So it's not statewide or anything like that, but on a local scale, uh, yeah. And the decisions that the Metro Council makes is carried out through the parish. Exactly. Okay, Yep. cool. So is it, um, so when is the election? The election is November 3rd. It's the same, so the same day as the general election. Okay. Yeah. As the presidential. Presidential, yep. Cool. And uh, I'm, like I said, I'm going to ask just dumb in the weeds okay. questions. Let's go. <laughs> so you, I'm assuming you have, you, if you're running in your district, you live in the district. I live in my district. Live and, in district then, 11, uh, yeah. and then just the people within your district are voting for their representative. Correct. I'm assuming. Yes. Um, and then, so once you're elected, 
Um, is anybody who else is running against you, by the way? So there's two other candidates, okay. uh, Gordon Frey Vargas and then Lori Adams. Uh, and so, yeah, both of those people live within the district as well. Are they is there is there like a party Democrat Republican within this election? Uh, or? So you you say what party you're affiliated with. All three of us are affiliated with the Republican Party. Oh, OK, so there's, so there's actually not a Democrat. There's not there. There actually was one who she put her name in uh, during qualifying and then kind of stepped out right after. Okay. So, gotcha. Um, so then, uh, if you are elected, yeah. um, is it, uh, is it, how does the actual job yeah. happen? Is there like meetings once a week? Is it five days a week? What's sure. the workload? So the actual meeting schedule of uh, Metro Council, they meet every other Wednesday mm-hmm. uh, from 430 to 6. So it's twice a month. Uh, and then on the opposite weeks, there are meetings concerning things like budget and that sort of thing. Um, and then it's, it's really being there for my district. So, you, you get anything from my trash isn't picked up to, <laughs> hey, can we rezone this area? Uh, and it's just being being there for the people and being the voice. Okay. Um, and so, yeah. So so you, so if someone, I don't live in District 11, yeah. but if someone, or if I lived in District 11, I, I would just email you about stuff and then you would do your homework on certain things and then compile information basically to bring to the next meeting and put what forward a motion or something? Yeah, yeah, bring it to the next meeting. But typically a lot of the issues are smaller on the, in the sense of like someone doesn't know the right point of contact, right, right department to contact. Or they say, hey, I've, I've contacted this department. I haven't heard back in two or three weeks. It's even, you know, kind of going up the food chain and, and making those contacts on their behalf. Uh, sometimes they'll fill out a form or they're on the phone for an hour and a half. And so yeah, that's the worst kind of becoming a little more helping them become a little more efficient. So is there uh, do you have uh, like could you direct people to do things like if trash isn't picked up? Yes. Could you as a council member like make the phone call and say we need this trash picked up and then it's yes. done? OK. Ideally, it'd be done. <laughs> Ideally, it would be done. I command you to pick I this trash. <laughs> yeah. And then every uh, council councilman, man or woman. Uh, gets a legislative aid. And so that person's kind of the, the person who's answering the phone calls, okay. jotting down notes, setting up meetings, uh, yeah, and kind of relaying information to me. Once again, though, my number is out there for the public. So I, I'm, I'm saying, hey, I'm going to be boots on the ground. Yeah. You call me. I'm going to make stuff happen. So, um, Okay, cool. So what are some of the, pro- I don't know if problems would be, but issues that kind of uh, raised your eyebrows to get you to want to jump in and do something about it. Sure. Uh, so a couple different things. Uh, you know this about me. Actually, I'll say this. W- one of the big things I want to support local and small business. And so you know this about me. I have a small janitorial company, mm-hmm. Pelican Janitorial. Uh, and we actually clean this office. That's right. Yeah. And so this episode is sponsored by Pelican Janitorial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Look s- them up. <laughs> and so looking at tax rates right now, especially with COVID happening, so many local businesses are having to close their doors. Mm-hmm. Or at least, I mean, they're, they're trimming down staff and it's skeleton crews and they're barely, barely making ends meet. Uh, the Payroll Protection you know, Act helped with some of that. It, it, it helped you know, have a buffer for businesses, but a lot of that money spent now, or it should, you know, should be spent. Um, and so businesses are struggling to stay open. I want to look at some of the, the you know, tax rates for businesses and say, hey, can we make some edits right now? Can we make some revisions to help businesses stay open? Um, our, you know, community infrastructure, we talk about so much. We talk about our roads and drainages and that sort of thing. The issues that I'm talking, especially with infrastructure that I've talked about with people in my district and even outside of my district have been issues for decades. And so I get it's not like a simple fix, but we've got to get the right people in the room and say, how do we actually solve this? And a lot, a lot of it actually comes down to budgeting. So it's, we want to do X, Y, and Z, but are we allocating the right resource right. to get those things done? Um, and so that's where, I mean, honestly, background, my background as executive pastor, I am over our church's budget 
and and just saying, hey, how can we use this money efficiently? Uh, we're run completely off of people's giving. So it's like we don't have an unlimited budget, but there are things that we want to do. We have to prioritize those things. Um, yeah, so I care a ton about that. Uh, prioritizing our public safety. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, that's been a big national issue. Uh, but in general, making sure that we've got, you know, we've got first responders within, you know, a, a certain amount of uh, distance that's adequate f for community members. Uh, if you look at where hospitals are laid out or where EMS uh, are laid out or pol uh, police stations, we've got to make sure that that's uh, within reach of people. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the big idea. And last but not least, and this is kind of all encompassing, is I want to bring efficiency to government. I mean, so even the issues we were joking about a second ago about you might be on the phone for an hour with someone. There are so many issues in our government, and a lot of it is because of lack of efficiency. And it seems like there's so much red tape, and we've small businesses are, are spending tax dollars to, to fund the government. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're, the, the, the risk-reward or even the... the even sowing and reaping, I'm a pastor. But that is just not, it's not, it doesn't equate. And so it's saying, hey, how can we, how can our government be more efficient? Because people are paying tax dollars. We've, we've got to be working on people's behalf and we just can't sit in office or even department workers thinking, hey, I have tenure here. I can't be fired because I work for the state. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's often you hear that like, oh, he works for the government. You can't fire him. And that's an issue. And so we've got to bring efficiency to that. Cool. So I, uh, like I said, a million questions just came up. But, so let's talk uh, about, I would like to talk maybe more detail about yeah. each of those things because, well, you know, the, the stereotypical politician, you know, coming in and giving the speech, I want to make everything better. Yeah. And then and it's, it's like, like well, how? how are you going to do that? Sure. And he's like, I want to make everything better. You, yeah. you know, um, so you mentioned a couple of things at the beginning, small business support. Yes. You were, I think you were saying that you want to look for ways to reduce tax burden on yes. small businesses. Small businesses. So lower taxes. Always, yes. I'm always a fan of that. <laughs> <laughs> Zero tax would be good. I don't know if you can pull that, but <laughs> I've heard so many people I've, I've you know, Kansas neighborhoods and someone's like, if you could just take out the taxes, I'll, you got my vote. I was like, I don't know if I can take them out, but we'll try right. to reduce some things. Um, so I guess what's like a couple, um, how would, how would you move in that direction? I guess like sure. what, what are some things that you could change to lower the tax burden yes. on small businesses? Well, so, so the, so the big question is if you lower the, the tax rate, where is that money coming from? I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, it's like people already say we're underfunded, but when you start looking at the budget, East Baton Rouge Parish, we've got close to a billion dollar, billion dollar budget. Now that's in uh, East Baton Rouge Parish. Yes. Now that's not, that is a lot of money. Yearly budget, $1 billion yes. for, for the parish. Yes. That is a lot. Wow. And it is, it is a lot of money. It is taken up very quickly. I mean, you look at it, and I think it's like 54% of our budget is like public safety, emergency responder, like that. Like just. Let me ask you, sorry to interrupt. Let me ask you this question, which feeds into another thing I was going to ask about. Yeah. Do you know what percentage of the $1 billion is paying for people? People employed by the government. People employed by the government. So a bit. So I will, I will say a big percentage. So after that fifty-four percent, you've got about another tw high twenties, low thirties that is going towards paying for salaries. But then also you think about people who have worked in government and retired. Right. A lot of those retirement packages are in that as well. Okay. And so is it? Is it odd? I think it's odd that isn't the largest employer in the country the federal government. Is I would imagine. True? I'm not sure if that's true. That, okay. Uh, yeah. I don't. And, and again, I would say Amazon's up there. Up there. I'm joking. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I just think I think it's odd that um, that the government would have more employees than than any other than anything. Um, I mean, the federal might make sense because the federal is so big, but runs everything. And I don't know that I actually keep yes. up with federal politics more than local politics. Sure. But is there? I mean, you know, what are at least fifty percent of downtown is just oh, it's government just, buildings? Yeah, it's government buildings. Yeah, is uh. I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't things be quote, like to use your word, wouldn't things be more efficient if all of those people are in the private sector instead of the public sector? Ooh, great question. I would say yes. Okay. Uh, and I mean, even right now, the, the big argument right now is even looking at the postal service and saying, yeah. should that, you know, should that be funded? Should tax dollars go towards that? And I just think there's so much more efficiency when things are private, pri- privatized. There mm-hmm. we go. Uh, that there's just, there has to be accountability. Whenever you're getting a free check, it is a lot easier for that money to not be spent efficiently because you didn't earn that money. Like it was just given to you. I mean, I think about whenever I was in high school, my parents would give me money and I just spent, I mean, even, or even thinking about college when I had student loans, I didn't earn that money and I would spend it like it was mine. Right. And then, you know, I get in the the working world and I'm so much more aware of where every single penny goes at, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's the same concept of if you're earning the money, you spend it differently than if it's just a check handed to you. So, yeah, I'm for that. <laughs> Got it. Uh, so is that, is the, can someone, by the way, pull up the parish yes. um, budget yeah, and just you can, look at all like, You can pull the budget the and you items. can see it's, it is a couple hundred pages, mm-hmm. but there's, there are some big overviews that show charts of like pie charts of percentage breakdowns. And then you can get in the nitty gritty and see, you know, to the penny. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming you've looked at it. I've looked at it closely. Yes. I've looked so at can you give me like a few things that you would want to just eliminate? Sure. I'm a huge fan of just eliminating. Eliminating. It. Well, this is, and then, of course, this is not. Don't just give me what I want to hear. I mean, sure. what you've actually looked at and sure. maybe identified. This as is a where thing I, to I'm not saying things should be eliminated, but I, I'm I'm more on the track of efficiency. So even so, tightening tightening them up. Yeah. So tightening. I mean, even you look at staffing. It's like, well, why are there three workers in this department? And this department could probably be automated if you look at software. You know, so yeah. so things like that. So I think it's going line by line and, and really looking at, hey, is, is this efficient? And getting everyone in the room, here's the thing, you can, even in our church, you look at our budget and there's not a right or wrong way to spend money. And here's what I mean by that is you get in a room with six people and talk about a budget, you're going to hear six different opinions. Right. Most are not right or wrong. Typically, it's like just a preference thing. So getting the whole, you know, Metro Council in the room, it's 12 people. So everyone's going to have different differencing of opinions. But I think there are some areas that we can land on is, is this efficient or is this not? Can this be cut? Can this, I, I think, I think we would agree more than we disagree. I mean, looking at it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Is, uh, are all of the seats up for election in November? Uh, <clears throat> good question. So there's, I know there's some people that went unopposed. So some of those seats are not up. Uh, I don't think, Okay. but I don't, I don't. How yeah. long is the term? Terms of four years. Oh, four years. Yeah. Okay. Um, so is it like, um. Again, I'm, I keep up more with like federal stuff yeah. and everything at the federal level is Republican versus Democrat. Yeah. Uh, is there less of that in, in the metro when you have 12 people in the metro? Because I'm assuming some are Democrats, some are Republicans. It, yeah, it's, it's pretty split. Uh, and it depends. I mean, the way our city is laid out and even the way our districts are laid out, it's typically the districts are Republican, Democrat districts. Um, and so every person can run under a party. So, but I have seen some people who say no party or independent. Um, did, did, I guess I was, I'm asking, yeah. like, if you're pursuing less taxes, more efficiency, that tends to normally be like a Republican, Republican idea, view. Or yeah. Republican view. Um, 
are the, so if you bring something in to maybe go to bring up and say, look, we need to do this and this to be more efficient. Um, like what level of pushback do you expect? And then yeah. how do you overcome it? Yes. Yeah, so I've met with a couple people who are, who are current councilmen right now and hearing that there are some Republicans, some Democrats, and bec- because of that tension, things are inefficient in the sense of you bring something that should be widely agreed upon, but because of the politics, mm. people are voting no, people are voting yes. Um, so yes, that is an issue. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is based on party affiliation and even some personal opinion as well. Right. Uh, so. Cool. Um, so what's some of the other uh, things that you would like to pursue, like in sure. terms of public safety, for instance, yeah. I know that um, there's a lot of talk back and forth uh, in Baton Rouge with the police and like sure. all that sort of thing. But the poli- was it the police union or something that put up a billboard about how there's been a bunch of murders and it was like enter with caution, uh, enter Baton Rouge with caution or whatever. And uh, anyway, so yeah. what? So is it is that when you when you uh, reference public safety, is yeah. that increased police? Is that like sure. what all does that kind of encompass? So I would say there's been that big conversation of do you fund the police? Do you defund the police? I'm all about funding the police, and but but hear me, don't don't stop listening. <laughs> what I mean by that is is proper training happening. Just yeah. because just because they're getting once again, just because they're getting a check, and they're quote unquote funded, does not mean it's they're funded efficiently or funded right. funded well. It's they're getting this check, but what is that money going towards? And so, I mean, I think it's I think I would say most people should agree on this. More training is needed for police officers mm-hmm. and even first responders in general. More training is needed, especially in the city that we live in, that seems to be divided by white, black, Republican, Democrat, or even you know economic status. You you look at that and it's like, well, are police officers from one side of the tracks trained to operate and the other side of the tracks, and vice versa? And so it starts with it starts with training there. We we can say we're going to pay police officers X amount, but if the training's not happening there. We're, we're missing the whole point. So it's, mm-hmm. it's less about what are they being paid and more about how much is being allocated towards training. So, so do you think that the, there should be an increase in police salaries? Would Is that like the starting point? That, so that's, that's what I'm saying. That's not my starting point, actually. Okay. I think my starting point is there needs to be an increase in training. Look, Let's look at the, the chart. I'm not saying we take away from salaries, but I'm saying how much is going towards tra- proper training, mm-hmm. not just training. You can call anything training and professional development. Right. I'm saying how much is going towards proper training on the front end. Um, I think we need to look at salaries and say, hey, is this adequate? Uh, because to a certain extent, both police officers, teachers, any you know, public service job, if you will, if those things aren't being, if those people aren't being paid well, those people are then going to move on to other professions that will. Right. And so we definitely have to make sure we're at a baseline of these people can live comfortably in this city. Um, Start there. And if the answer is mm-hmm. yes, then hey, we're good. But but I think generally that answer is no. Um, and so we gotta we gotta we gotta be competitive. If you talk about the private and public sector, you've gotta be competitive competitive with the private sector, uh, to, to to keep those people around. I mean, I, I know I have friends of mine once again who went to college with me and they started off in education and then they saw what education pay was and they changed <laughs> their majors very quickly. And then mm-hmm. some even finished their degrees, got into education, and then saw the inefficiencies in with the school board and at their local schools and said, well, I want to make a difference in students' lives. Like I can't, there's, there's once again, so much red tape that I can't do it. I'm out. And mm-hmm. so, uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, for sure. Good. What, uh, so what is the deal with the Baton Rouge school system? 
Whew. That's a that is a. I, ha- I have not been involved directly. Sure, but you know, like everyone talks about, it's terrible. But we need yeah. to, we need more money. But then other people say, no, yeah. you don't. And, and that's that's once again, I, I keep talking about this, but e- efficient money. So uh, I was in a, you know in a neighborhood the other day, this past weekend on Saturday, uh, just kind of going door to door meeting people, and I was talking to one guy, and he said, hey, I, you know, I'm from this neighborhood. I've been here for 17 years. When I moved here, I was single. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. Now I have a wife, kids. And the school that's right by my house had issues 17 years ago. Those issues that were there 17 years ago are still here, and there are even greater issues. There's even more concern. Mm. And so the, and, and here's the thing. Fun, most people, in people's minds, they think funding has gone down for school systems. But you look at funding across the country, every single year it goes up. It's no secret. It goes up. But the question is, once again, is the money being put in the right hands in the right places? Um, I mean, my big thing with education is it really does start in the home. If parents are in, if, 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 and it's just a proven fact, if, if a child has two parents, they are more likely to succeed. They have an upper hand than if a child lives in a single parent home or even lives with a grandparent, guardian. And so it's, it starts there. Uh, and so my big thing is, hey, if you have two parents, you are ahead of the game. You're, you're probably good to go. If your parents are investing in your school, you're good to go. But looking at some of those single parent, and once again, if you're you know, have a guardian, how do we get help to those students? And I don't think it's putting more money in the school alone. I think we have to look at like, are there, and this is the long-term game. People want to write a check and think it'll solve the issue. What if we started mentor programs, mentorship programs very early on and people agree to be invested in a student's life for, I know this sounds like a long time, but five, 10 years and says, hey, I'm willing to sign up and be with this student through elementary school or through middle school or through high school. If we start there and even... I think a lot of people would do out of the goodness of their hearts, but if we compensated some of those mentors who might, may even be college students at LSU right now or at Southern, we, we start there and we say, hey, we're gonna, we can pay X amount, like maybe minimum wage even. They're more likely to help out with those students and those students' success rates goes up. Mm-hmm. But if we think we just give, you know, we, we, we just write a check to the school and it's gonna be used efficiently, efficiently that's where we have issues. Mm-hmm. And so it's gotta start in the home. Uh, and if it's not happening in the home and we think a teacher's going to be able to fix it in seven, eight hour, or six or seven hours with a student, it's just not possible. Their, their job is to teach. Their job is not to parent. Right. So. Is it, is it, um, I know, you know, like it seems again, my perception, yeah. um, that seems like a lot of people want, you know, the government to fix things for them or like yeah. turn to the government to mm-hmm. get educated and to get healthcare and like yeah. all this. And that's, you know, that's like a cliche thing, but just to, to give, to give the context, um, I'm just wondering, because I mean, like, as you say, it's, it's been proven time and time again, that having two parents is like the biggest advantage sure. for a kid. Um, but how can, I guess two questions is yeah. how does, how would you pers- kind of push in that direction yeah. of giving, of trying to encourage parents to have more of the responsibility rather than depending on teachers or school to raise their kids? Yeah. Like how, like how do you even get yeah. there? So this is honestly a sad reality is for teachers to have to encourage parents to get involved in their kids' lives. If we're at that point, we've missed it. It's, there's already a flaw. It's, it's gotta be the parents taking initiative on their own. If they're, if they're not taking it on their own, we could send all the mailers home and all the packets and hey, we have this resource and this after school. But if they're not in the game already, we've missed it. So mm-hmm. it really starts there and it's, it's saying, what students are at higher risk? So if we see single parent households or you know guardian or whatever, it's saying statistically these students are at risk. How can we reach them? 
and it it may be helping the guardian out and offering resources, but typically it's going directly to the student. So okay, yeah, and and uh, is that something? Again, I'm my context is is yeah. not quite probably exactly with Metro Council member, so sure. I'm not like expecting you to have all the things. answers to everything. I know it all, <laughs> but uh, but what is that? Is that like a? I mean, I'm just thinking. You know, Zachary and Central have quote unquote really good school systems. Sure. They're doing great. They're number one yeah. in the state. Whatever yeah. the numbers are, I don't really know. But uh, why is there such a discrepancy? Because this is like the Baton Rouge area. Yeah. So like Zachary and Central and even some Denham Springs, even though it's a different, like I live in Denham Springs, for instance, but yeah. I consider myself living in Baton Rouge. Yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense, uh-huh. but, uh, but I work here and things like Some that. Some people don't want to claim Denham Springs. <laughs> I don't, definitely not. I do not like living in Parish. What about, what is funny I'm story? moving out of there tomorrow, actually. I'm moving into Denham, East Baton Rouge Parish. Denham Springs is great, but I got a friend, one of my best friends, and he is born, he was, or he was raised in Denham Springs, and I would always tell people he's from Denham Springs. He's like, no, I'm not from Baton Rouge. He's like, you're from Denham Springs, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, we love you, Denham that. Springs. You've got <laughs> yes, great school systems. <laughs> Are they better than, uh, than... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh yeah. I guess it's like... Most know. most 5A public schools are doing pretty well. Um, and I would say you look at, this is once again nationwide, typically in higher populated areas, those school systems tend to do worse. When you start looking at the outskirts, so the Centrals, the Denham Springs, uh, the Zachary's, those schools statistically do better. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, at least for, for that school district, and I even think I grew up in St. Charles Parish, and we had great, like I went to public school and it was great experience. There was competitive uh, salary compensations for those teachers, for superintendents, for, you know, upper level, upper level, you know, administration. Uh, so it started there. Um, and there was just, there was a value on education in that community. And here, I think we value education in Baton Rouge, but we value it in, in private schools. Mm -hmm. You know, like we, you just follow the money. That's where we value it. But in, in, in public schools, it's, we, we say we value it, but we all have the backroom conversations of, well, I don't know if I'd send my kids to public school, or if I did, I'd be concerned. So there's the issues are there, and you even asked, you started asking this question, like, how do we get there? I think there's so many reasons. Like you, I mean, you look at once again our layout of our city. There's so many reasons behind that, um, and I think to solve a problem, you have to know, you know, you have to look at the root of why we got there. But then you also have to look at the current issue. This is our current state. How do we fix it from here? So while I am interested in how we got here, that's that's great. It's also like we're here. How do how do we get from here to there? Right. Uh, so, so what what are a couple of your thoughts on how we do that? Yeah, I mean, I keep I keep hitting that mentorship piece, yeah. and I, I really do mean that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it has. I think it starts there. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we if we miss that piece of if kids are you know are starting you know without two parents and they're already behind the game, if we miss them with mentors, we can try to solve their issue in sixth grade or ninth grade or twelfth grade. But we've missed we've missed it. Like if we're trying to make college, you know, on somebody's radar. You know, I remember whenever I was in high school. You know, you, it's, it, it starts being on everybody's radar. Yeah. But if that's the first time it's talked about for a student, we've missed it. My, you know, my dad went to college, graduated college, and so it was on my radar from yeah from birth. You could say, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. even a it really wasn't a question. But for some students who that's not their context, that's not their family background. If the conversation is not talked about until 11th, 12th grade. In reality, of this is how much it'll cost. This is where you could possibly go. I mean, most kids think about where they're going to college based on their favorite sports team, which is probably <laughs> or in Louisiana we've got it good, right. but in a lot of contexts it might be out of state. And it's like that's 
for a lot of people, that's not a, that's not a reality. You, you can't, that's not practical. You can't go out of state. So it's having those conversations sooner. Uh, so I, I, I mean, once again, I keep going back to mentorship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got to reach them young. Cool. Um, what is the structure of the, and we'll move on from schools in, in a second, yeah. but <laughs> we're what's the structure of the school board and like, who are those people and are they, are yeah. they elected and is the yeah. Metro council over the school board? What's that? So Metro council and school board are two different entities. Okay. Uh, and so, so school board, even as far as approving budgets and approving superintendents, that is their deal. Metro Council and even uh, government in general has some say into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as day-to-day operations uh, and approving yay or nay, that is the school board. So it, it's it's separate. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. What is, um, what would you, I'm kind of thinking about the, you know, like you mentioned, the Baton Rouge is kind of separated, Republican, yeah. Democrat, maybe black, white, yeah. maybe a, a, a economic status, that sort of yeah. thing. Um, again, I don't expect you to like be my savior and have all the sure. correct answers. I'm yeah. just kind of curious uh, about your opinion. But what is like contributed mainly to that? And then um, what are you seeing right now that sure. may be some encouraging things people are doing that to, to sure. fix that issue? Yeah. Uh, and then also, like, what what would you try to pursue to fix that? Yeah, I mean, I think issue. Sure, I think if you look at our city and the way it's laid out, you'll see typically, depending on district or even zip code or street, typically you can associate a color, black or white. I mean, there's others, but you get what I'm saying, black or white, and you can probably associate uh, an economic status. Mm-hmm. And typically, those two are related. I'm not saying they're always, but typically they're related. Um, and so you look at our city and even the South in general. And it, I mean, it's, 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 it started so long ago. Like the issue is not an issue that you and I created. It's an issue that right. started forever ago. Um, and so, yeah, just with the demographics of our city and the layout, like even the way it was constructed, uh, there were, you know, the wealthy people that lived in one area and then they moved to another, you know, and someone else got the seconds. And so it's just, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it's, it's more of a generational problem. Um, and I, I think the encouraging thing for me that I'm seeing, and this doesn't solve it all, but I think, you know, I'm both familiar with the mid city area, mm-hmm. but even seeing that area get developed in, in Baton Rouge, you could say the line that kind of divides black, white, and even economic status is, is government or Florida. I mean, you could mm-hmm. pick and choose whatever. I mean, they're, you know, two streets apart, but it, it's, it's, it's that street. That's kind of the dividing line and seeing more things get built and get created around that line and around that area. And even, you know, starting to go into that area is encouraging. Um, once again, I don't think free handouts are the issue. I think it's it's really people caring and people of different races, of different economic statuses, having conversations. If we think we're going to solve this on a you know government issue, on a government you know way, or mm-hmm. even a church way, it's like no, we've got to sit down and it's once again, it's not writing big checks. It's not about big stuff. It's about hey, who's the last friend that you've made that doesn't look like you, that doesn't talk like you, who has, you know, different amount in the bank account, like start with a conversation there. And first off, I realized from all those conversations, uh, and once again, I say, I say all, and I mean all from all those conversations, we have more alike than we have different. Mm-hmm. So I think so often we like to think we're, we're so different, you know, even mm-hmm. Republicans, and Democrats, we're so different. And it's like maybe the far right and the far left, but you have a conversation with most Americans. We want the same thing. We've got some some uh, maybe some strategic differences on how we get to that point, but we all want to get to the same goal. Um, and so it's sitting there having a conversation with people 
and just being a friend of someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know that's not the answer people want. People want the, qu- the quick <laughs> that, fix. That requires work. Yeah, yeah. We, want, we want the quick fix and we want government <laughs> to come in and change everything. But it's like, how can you make a friend? Like if, every, if everyone took that mentality of I'm going to meet a friend outside of my zip code, outside of my district who doesn't look like me, doesn't talk like me, and not to think you're helping that person. We go back to the missions thing, not to yeah. go into another context and think, I am the savior. No, <laughs> but you go in and say, hey, I've got genuine questions. I want to have a conversation with you. And this, and there's no like motive. There's no strings attached. Simply, I want to be your friend. That's where the win is. That, mm-hmm. that is a million times over. That is the win. I mean, yeah. And I, once again, not, it's, not, it's not even a government fix. It's not a church fix per se even. It's, mm-hmm. it's people saying, I'm, I'm interested in my neighbor. I mean, it is a, you can get back to Jesus' roots, so I guess it is right. there. <laughs> but it, it really is people saying, yeah, I want to make, you know, I mean, yeah. No, that, that's good stuff. I, yeah. I, uh, I'm thinking too now, like, it's good that, you know, if you become a Metro Council member, it's like, to most people, you say, oh, you're part of the Metro Council. Like, that kind of gives you some status in their mind. Sure. So just the fact that, you know, you saying those things, which is nothing that you necessarily or the government can do to help, yeah. but just people, more people in, you know, power, sure. air quotes power, uh, saying <laughs> things like that, I think, is, a, is definitely a good thing to encourage yeah. people to do that sure. if you think that that's the way yeah. to bridge gaps. And yeah. Get outside like your bubble. Right. Yeah, we're so consumed with our bubble, and we think our bubble's the only thing. And you realize, you know, five minutes from where you live, there's another bubble. Mm-hmm. And those people live completely different. Have a conversation with them. Right. So That is one thing that I've uh, really noticed a lot in the last few years is, because I have not actually li- ever lived in Baton Rouge. Always lived in, lived in Zachary for a while and then lived in central and then denim once I got married. Um, but that's one thing I've noticed heavily over the past few years is, is like the, the line that you mentioned there it's, it is almost like a whole different city within a city, depending on what area that you're in, whether it's like the country club of Louisiana or whether it's, you know, up, up uh, by Florida Boulevard, it can seem like totally. So that's something that I've been, becoming more aware of and like wanting to maybe get involved with or just explore things. Cause it's very odd that we, I mean, obviously a big city, Baton is a fairly, you know, it's not a huge city, but pretty big city. So there's going to be lots of differences and things, but if we're going to have any of the commonality and if we're going to have good schools and all that stuff, it can't, we can't be like so divided, but anyways, that was a long rant for no reason. No, Um, no, that's good. I I agree with you. (laughs) um, What, uh, just a couple more questions that popped into my head. There's a big contention. I don't know if it's contention. It's just a race, but uh, for the mayor for Baton Rouge. Sure. So how important is the mayor in terms of, again, fixing the, you know, the problems in the city because everyone wants the mayor to fix the problems. Can the mayor really, fix the problems and then yeah. how important is it to vote the the right you know again quote air quotes yeah uh the right person into office for to push baton rouge forward yep i mean i went on that tangent earlier but i don't think we can expect one politician or even multiple politicians to fix the issue mm-hmm. but there is like i said this earlier whenever we're trying to be a church for the whole city we realize that without being in certain rooms certain changes can't happen so if we're not in the rooms that's talking about infrastructure or city layout we don't have a voice we don't have a seat at the table so it is very important Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I encourage every single person, like research each candidate that's running. Um, don't, and even like, this may sound superficial, but don't just vote for someone because they have an R or D next to their name. Go like, go on their website and read some of their platforms, mm-hmm. watch some of their videos, see some of their actual plans. I, so many, I mean, yeah, 
Oh, never mind. I won't get on a <laughs> no, tangent. Please continue. But, but, but really, just like who's run, like learn about that person. Yeah. Uh, there's numerous candidates in the races that this go around, um, and it's it's a big deal. I mean, for Metro Council and parish, uh, Mayor President to work together, it's it's a big deal. And so, yeah, we've got to we've got to all do our research, vote our convictions. And then after, hey, it's game time. Let's make a difference. Um, what do you? Another big thing that the Metro Council contributes to is like the the plan, uh, the planning and the zoning yeah. type things. Um, how much does that contribute to perhaps some of the dividing or some of the certain areas getting certain funding or but, even? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a huge. I mean, huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you look at any city, developers, commercial developers have such a big seat at the table when it comes to what areas of town will succeed um and so if 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 uh commercial real estate people like i mean i'm talking like i'm talking you know big time if they're willing if if they have a heart to say hey i want to see this city develop and the city change that that makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. uh because where they put their cars down or where they you know build things matters so much so i mean you we're, we're about to see potentially, you know, downtown get developed. Yeah. Uh, and it it's because of a couple commercial real estate guys saying we want to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it has a has a huge impact. So um, what is it? Again, a couple of questions on that. Yeah. Um, how do you get more of the development in certain areas that I don't know if I guess need it? Yeah. Because uh, there's, you know, there's buildings falling down in places and things. Sure. Um, so how do you do that? And then also I've heard, uh, you know, an interesting point. Actually, I think maybe me and Carl were talking about this. Uh, was it me and Carl? I think it was me and Carl um, talking about talking about development and things like that. Uh, is development always a good thing? Because sure. you do have the, yeah. you know, the poor people that mm-hmm. are living pay- out. paycheck to paycheck and yeah. then they get pushed out of things whenever things yes. get more expensive. Yes. So you answered your question. It's not always good. Okay. Uh, and so... Yeah, we definitely, even I mentioned the developments on government, and for the most part, it's good. Um, and even, like I said, some of that's crossing that line. But we do have to make sure that the people who are currently there are not being pushed further out. Uh, and so, yeah, build, but build with, what's, the, what's that culture already there? If you're just building your culture in, a, in an area that's not your culture, mm-hmm. you're pushing people out. Uh, and so it is us going, going to the table and... This, you know, business owners may not love to hear this, but it, it is about the bottom dollar, but it's also about what's that, what's that community about? Because mm-hmm. if we're always about the bottom dollar, you know, bottom line, we're going to miss it. Like if that's the only goal, that should be a goal. I'm a business owner. That is a big goal. Yeah. But you also have to consider the people. And once again, I always said we can look at statistics and throw out big numbers, but realizing that each person has a name, they have a face, they have a story, they, you know, and so you got to realize that in your decision making. Um, that was the answer to your second question. What was the f- first portion of that? The first one is, is how do you, uh, I guess I was thinking like, how do you get some more of that development in yeah. areas that need it? Uh, and, and maybe a, a trail off of that is the right kind of development in those areas. Um, and then what, what are some areas that need that right sure. now? Sure. I'm a pastor, so I'm going to, I'm going to play the pastor card right now. It really is getting churches in those areas who care about that community not care about their church and building their church, but care about those people and saying, hey, we're going to start here. We're going to offer the resources that are in our church. I mean, you, I, lo- I love our church. We're 250 people, and we've got people from all different backgrounds, all different demographics, all different professions, and you network that together, and you can do something great. And so I think 
it starts with the church and not just for networking reasons, but for like you bring Jesus in, into a community and you bring Jesus into East Baton Rouge Parish. And while we seem so divided, we can be united on that front. And mm-hmm. that could, that could really do something. So that's where I get excited. I'm like, we can talk through policy changes, X, Y, Z, and those things are needed. They're good. But if, if we miss Jesus and you know, and I'm, I'm a pastor, so people if they don't like it. They can whatever. Sorry, you're in the South, so you yeah. can talk about Jesus yeah. all you want. <laughs> but if if we miss that, we're gonna have the vision forever. You know, mm-hmm. it, so it has to start there. Uh, I'm, should conversations happen after about policy and that sort of thing? Yes, but if if we're missing that link, that's the that's the missing link kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, um, again, I might be wading into something controversial, maybe a little testy. Um, what's the, there's been, I've noticed and I, and seen some news about it and yeah. heard some people rumbling. Um, but it seems like there's more of a homeless presence in the city. Sure. Um, and so, you know, people, have, again, people have strong opinions one way or the other on this. Yeah. Um, but it's not, I mean, of course it's, it can't be the most desirable situation to be living on the street. Sure. Like, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to do that. Yeah. So, um, do you know like why maybe that is happening and then how can we, uh, you know, assist those people? And, you yeah. know, if it goes back to the church thing, I love, I love that answer by the way. Sure. Um, but how do we kind of, again, I don't want to like say fix the problem because homeless people aren't yeah. a pro- like people aren't the problem, but no. just the situation. Yeah. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on that? So one, it is homelessness in Baton Rouge, but even in most larger cities is growing, right. especially That's with COVID, true. especially with COVID right now. It yeah, is, absolutely. it is on the rise. Um, and once again, this, this, it's it's the hard, the long-term solution that people don't like to hear. Yeah. But we've got to, handouts don't work for the, to, to solve that issue. It's not, we think, well, I, I gave them a meal, now they're good. Well, they're going to come back and have one another meal. So it really starts with how are we developing these people professionally? Um, if if someone can't sleep at night, like if they don't have a place to lay their head, they're not going to be able to work a full eight-hour day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and most jobs require more than that. Yeah, so so mm-hmm. to think they're going to come, so it's even getting helping getting those people on their feet. I'm not saying we pay for their housing, you know, for the rest of their lives. I'm saying for a short period of time to help them get on their feet, there is a six month window. We're helping these people out. And if they want it after six months, they'll be on their feet. They they might even, what I would love to see is while there, this, while there's a six month period where someone, you know, they have paid housing. I love to see people who take so much initiative, get on their feet with work that they're like, Hey, I'm out of here in three months. Like, I thank you. You helped me get on my feet. Mm -hmm. This was was the point of this. I'm out. And, uh, I get that's not always human nature. Like I know there are some people who want to freeload. Mm-hmm. And for those people, that's where I'm like, that's why you got to put limits, like six, whatever the limit is, six <laughs> months, three months, you've got to put limits to yeah. sift those people out. And there's a, there's a lot of those people too that are, that, you know, the drug problem, there's a big yeah. drug problem or some people have mental it's illness issues. Me, so mental, I mean, if you, if you look at statistics, mental illness is the biggest factor yeah. in regards to homelessness. And so some of those people, like the people I'm talking about are people who are, willing and able and capable to work with with the uh mental illness issue i mean it's getting those people the meds and the help they need yeah. and and those and some of those people may never work so you've you got to you've got to just go to the table realizing that uh and the expectations are different mm-hmm. so gotcha um so we i just had the thought that we haven't even talked about biz- the business aspect uh small business ownership yeah um is Pelican janitorial uh, your sole business, or do, have you explored other businesses uh, in your twenty-seven years? You know, uh, my friends will my friends will tell you this. I I always have business ideas. Okay. Uh, Pelican is the one that I went. I, you know, that I started, and here's here's the reason behind it. I, so I graduated. So 
in high school, I did that. You know, me and my dad would we would do janitorial. We we clean offices on the side on the weekends. Um, and then I graduated college. I had student loans, and I was like, the, the six month window came up where it's like you're gonna be charged interest now, and you have to make payments. And I said, I want to knock this out. And I was like, well, you know, what can I do? I'm working full time at the church. What can I do on the side or even at night? Um, and so I found a company to clean with at the time, and I worked for them. And it was some long day. I mean, I would. Funny enough, I was, I'm a pastor, but I, I was trustworthy and faithful. So I became the manager very quickly. And he said, you know, how would you like to work less and get paid more? I was like, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> but what it turned out to be was, he's like, you're reliable. I was, if anyone bailed, I had to clean the office. So there was at one mm. point in time I was cleaning like three or four offices a night, you know, and I'm up until the 2 a.m. or I'm waking up at 3 a.m. cleaning until 7. And so, uh, but anyway, I, so, but, you know, a year and a half, I was able to pay off my student loans. And then once again, working at the church, I said, you know, it would be awesome if I could work at the church and the church not supply my salary fully. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not at that point yet, but it would be awesome where if I could have a side income, like have, have a side income and have a business up and running that I wouldn't have to be a burden on the church financially. Uh, and so started Pelican Janitorial and that's, that's kind of the goal. Once again, not there yet, I'm still, be, still paid by the church, uh, but would love to just see that happen. I don't know. That's cool. Yeah. And, and how, is it, I remember when you guys first came here yeah. uh, to like look, look at our office. It yeah. was you and another guy. Yeah. Is it how many people um, are working? Yeah. So right it? now, so right now, I am the sole owner, and then I've got three employees. Okay. And so, yeah, that's that's it right now. Very cool. Yeah. Um. So what is um? I will let's jump back to the pastor uh, yeah. role. I'm curious to hear about. Do you do like how do you do any uh? I know you preach uh, and teach and things like that. Yeah. Do you do any like one-on-one or a small group interaction with people, whether it's like counseling or or things along those lines? Don't do counseling, but I do meet a lot, meet with a lot of people in our church one-on-one. For one of my favorite things to do is just grab lunch or grab a meal with people, grab dinner, uh, and hear their story and hear their passions and help empower them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that's one of my. It's not counseling, but it is just yeah. sitting down with them one-on-one, saying. And even, it starts in the church, but even just people in our community. I've met, even during, you know, even campaigning, hearing people's heart to make, you know, East Baton Rouge Parish better, I'm all for that. I want to help. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, I mean, how, you know, you want to be a mentor? Let's get you in. Or you want to, you know, and just kind of empowering people in their gifting. Uh, so th- that's, kinda, that's kind of why I asked, because I was curious to hear about, uh, like, you're 27, that's pretty young, yeah. um, but pastor and now running for office. Um, how has that, how has the dynamic been as a pastor? And then maybe how do you expect the dynamic to be when most people that, you know, most people are going to be older than you, at, sure. at least people are that are concerned with government issues yeah. and things like that. So, um, what's that? I mean, I personally think that we should have a lot more younger people. Sure. In, like why, why do we have all these, why do we have Trump and Biden that are super old? And then usually all these old people in government, but so what's, how do you think, uh, that that dynamic will, will shake down and, you know, all these older yeah. people like bossing you around sure. and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, one thing about me, and this, I'm not bragging on myself, so often I, I have always, I don't know, for whatever reason, have found myself at the table with older people. So like, I mean, even this morning, that elder meeting I was in, I am 27 <laughs> and everyone else is probably 45 plus. Uh, but that's, while that seems odd, that's pretty normal for me. I mean, even I think back to whenever I was in LSU, I was president of Rotaract LSU, which is uh, the college version of Rotary. Okay. And so I would go to the Rotary meetings on Thursday morning. I was, you know, 18, 19 at the time. And everyone is, you know, business owners and that sort of thing. They love me. 
and they were inviting me to, you know, committee meetings and X, Y, Z, even have dinner with them, inviting me into their workplaces. And so it's kind of normal for me. Like I don't, being around older people, it doesn't intimidate me. And it, for some reason, I, I mean, I respect them. I get why I respect them, but they respect me as well. And I'm like, hey, let's do, let's do it. So mm-hmm. That's yeah. cool. Um, I mentioned to you before that one of the reasons I started the podcast was to get better at talking with people. Yeah. So, and, and if your answer to this question is it comes naturally, totally fine. But uh, how do you converse and get your point across and then understand someone and, uh, you know, figure out a way to bridge the gap between them, maybe like the first time you meet them? Because you, know, sure. you meet a lot of people. You said you were going door to door. There's a lot of people in your district. And yeah. then being a pastor at a church, if somebody is new coming to the church, usually they're looking to the pastors for yeah. different things. So give me some uh, strategies on sure. reaching people and hearing them and that sort of Th- thing. This is not rocket science, and you actually said the answer just now. So when it comes to communicating with people, what people really want is to be heard. Mm-hmm. And so if you come into the, any conversation as a listener and even repeat, I mean, even as simple as remembering someone's name mm-hmm. or even repeating back what they've already told you goes, you know, light years, you know, ahead, you know, it's, it, 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 it ignites a relationship and even a friendship. Um, I mean, there's people who, once again, I, you know, going door to door meeting people and I learn their name. I learn a little bit about them. And even in the conversation, I'm repeating some of that back. Um, and I think people just want to know that, you know, in, in one way we're selfish and we want to, we want to hear our name and, you know, study show that's the, you know, whenever, whenever we hear our names, that's, you know, our favorite word or whatever. Um, <laughs> But also we want to know that someone cares about us and someone's listening. So, you know, so often we're having conversations with people on their, on their phones or, you know, and it, it's like half-hearted listening. Uh, and so if you sit down and take time to listen to people and truly listen, not just listen so I can get a vote. I, I'm not in this for politics and to become a politician. I'm like, I really want to help people. I want to be a public servant. That, that's, mm-hmm. that's the goal. And if you come in with that mentality, if I'm going to listen, that's great, you know. Do you think that the pastoral role has trained you to be a Metro Council member? Oh, for sure. I mean, so once again, our church is 250 people, and then also we are in a network of churches. So it's in the thousands easy. Is it, is it an ARC church? It's not It's not an ARC church, but I'm familiar with ARC churches and okay. have a lot of friends in those churches. So even, yeah, I'm a part of those networks as well. And I I mean, I've, I, can, I can interact with just about anybody. Mm. And even, I think it comes down to even my childhood of dad's black, mom's white. And just even, I mean, I, I think through like uh, Christmas or Easter at the diff- at different family, like different family and cousin's <laughs> right. house and grandparents' house. I mean, it was fun dynamics. Right. And and coming to LSU, I mean, I think that you know jump started everything. You know, I can interact with just about anybody. Uh, and then church, you're there's some business owners I interact with, some college students, some young adults, some people who are like grandparents and empty nesters. And I don't know, I enjoy talking to people. So yeah. Uh, so tell me, like, what are some things that you enjoy doing in your free time? Yeah, so the funny thing is, free time, is, it sounds really funny right now. I feel like I have zero free time with, with this campaign <laughs> I, happening. So. I was actually telling uh, somebody that uh, we were doing the podcast today, yeah. and they didn't know who you were. Yeah. So I was explaining, uh, yeah, he's a, you know, he has a small business, yeah. he's a pastor, he's running for Metro Council, and they were like, wow, he's got a lot going you, on. You want me to add one more thing? <laughs> okay, one, please one, do. One more thing. I am uh, at LSU Shreveport right now and getting my MBA online. So oh, wow. Okay. I am halfway through that. Uh Yeah. So I'll be done. And the pilot's license, of course. And then the pilot's license. It that, may be on pause, but yes, it's that's why it's on that's and that's why it's on pause. So <laughs> yeah. free time's not you know, not ample, but my Fridays I try to take a Sabbath. Uh it does not always happen. <laughs> but the but the ones that are effective are the ones where I can like 
grab lunch with some of my best friends and just hang out, laugh a ton. Um, if I ever have like two free days free, I'll grab a book and I'll just nerd out and read a book. Uh, I love nonfiction. Uh, fiction I can't really get to. I'm with you. But uh, I, I'm nonfiction and I'll, if I start a book, I'm going to finish it. In a cup, like I'm not with you on there. I wish no, I was. No, props if, to you. Here's the thing: if I start a book, I have to finish it, and that, that's part of the problem. That's why I can't pick up books because I'm like, if I've got a big project <laughs> at work, I can't. Yeah, can't just be reading the book. So anyway, what's some of your favorite books that you've read, or that you would suggest I should read? Yes, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big like business book person. So good it. to great, Jim Collins, uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, uh, helped out. So working at a church, I mean, once again, different dynamics of pe- like different types of people. And that helped out so much. Uh, five, was it five, five dysfunctions of a team? Yes. Okay. Uh, Patrick Lencioni. Okay. Um, and so those are probably my two favorite right now, or two favorite over the past maybe two or three years. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, are you a podcast listener? You know, if I'm in the car, I want something. I'm listening yep. to something, but I don't have like a podcast that I listen to. Okay. So, I know one that you could. Li- okay, no, I, can listen, I can listen to this one. We got one right Absolutely. here. Absolutely. <laughs> no. How many? I, am I... <laughs> Am I the twelfth episode? Or? Uh, thirteenth. Thirteenth. Wow, actually. 14th. Oh, is it the fourteenth? I'm the fourteenth. He's the thirteenth. Okay, well, great. Carl was the thirteenth. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was twelve or thirteen. Okay, so, you're so I've 14th. got some catch up to do. So I've got yeah. You, know. you got twelve to listen to. Yeah. Carl, yeah, we just did Carl's uh, Saturday last Saturday or two Saturdays ago. Nice. Uh, the producer becomes the guest. No. <laughs> <laughs> like that tagline. Um, uh, yeah, and that was one. Carl. Carl drives all the time for as he does for his job a lot. So we talked about podcasts for yeah. a good, a good little bit. Um, anyways, uh, again, I had a good question about, uh, about church and then I forgot it. I forgot to, forgot to write it down. Um, you mentioned that you like to travel. Yes. So Ooh. tell me about your favorite place. You, I love to travel to Yes. Tell me about the, your, your favorite destination so far and one place that you have to go before you die yes you know this from traveling a lot when people ask that question you're like how do i choose one place like everyone is unique every place is unique um i think i'm gonna go with switzerland whenever whenever i really want to go to switzerland yeah so whenever i travel i love the outdoors so like if i can get some good hiking and i I tell people that and i've I've done like machu picchu hike that but i'm not a hiker like Mm. i did that and i hiked it but i like like a, a a short, a short hike with a view. So, okay, so yeah. Switzerland is perfect for that. So you can go out and get a couple Instagram pics. And oh, yeah. Okay, you got you right. to get the lookout picture now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> My friends make fun of me for that. <laughs> uh, but Switzerland for the views and, yeah, I mean, I, I remember we got to Switzerland. I was with me and two buddies of mine. We did France, Switzerland, Italy. And cool. we got to Switzerland middle of the night. Uh, we take this taxi to the Airbnb. The, the meter's like going so f- every couple seconds it's shooting up. Uh, come to find out, he scammed us. Wow. Uh, we paid like legit ninety U.S. dollars for a fifteen-minute ride. Wow! And it was, yeah, and so we, we get to our Airbnb like maybe one thirty in the morning, and you can't see it's pitch right. black. And I wake up the next morning and look out of the window and mountains and lake. Wow! And there was a trampoline out front, out front, out back, I guess. Um, and I run out, I run outside. Uh, and I'm hopping on the trampoline, screaming like a little kid, like, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm waking up my roommates. I realized the person who owns the Airbnb is up, like, they lived upstairs, and I, I had zero social awareness. But, uh, uh, and I'm like, what is going on? This crazy person in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I got to go hang gliding on that trip. So that oh, was, oh, wow. Yeah. So that was, that's amazing. Yes. 
Is that is there perhaps on is that on your Instagram or something? Can I look? It's at on that? the Instagram, yeah. I it's on the look, great. Look a little deeper on there once I have more time for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then somewhere I want to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Iceland. Iceland. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the the views there I feel like would be <laughs> incredible. Uh, I would love to just uh, take a road trip. Like I, I hear it's pretty small. You can get them fairly quickly. Oh, I, th- I thought you were saying road trip to Iceland. I, oh, like, I think no, it's an island. No, no. <laughs> you travel a lot. I don't think you can do that. Right. Uh, around. Ar- yeah, around. Island, yeah. yeah. Uh, is it true that Iceland's green and Greenland is mainly ice? Yeah. Okay. It is. Yeah. I've heard that. Even though, even though Iceland is still a pretty cool, like there is a lot yeah. of ice, but yeah. Greenland's more ice. Yes. I've seen the, um, probably was like a YouTube vlogger or something that I've followed, but they have the uh, the is it like the the springs or something that you can the go in springs. Iceland? Yeah, yeah. and lagoons. Like, and... It's beautiful. Yeah, like, take I think a they call the blue. Lag- I think they're called the blue lagoons. Blue lagoons. That's, yeah. I think that's yeah. it. That's cool. Very cool. So that, yeah, that's I on the bucket list. I definitely would. You, by the way, uh, if given the opportunity, would you go to the moon? Yeah. Why not? Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. right on. If someone's yeah, if I'm given the opportunity, if somebody well, I mean, I guess if you if you have to pay for it, but like yeah, I think yeah, I go to the moon. Space travel I, does not frighten you. I, I'm not like. I mean, space is really cool. I don't <clears> think <throat> I have to go to outer space, but cool. Yeah, okay, I, I'd do it. Right. That's it. I would definitely do it yeah. uh, we my wife and myself both love traveling but she absolutely would not and i definitely would so i was curious if that was like a I feel like you have to a travel yeah. a, a, tr- a lover of travel would go to the moon for sure oh no doubt <laughs> um i want to ask also a little bit about uh um i don't know more about like people and, and like how you interact with people because one thing like i said we we've met a couple times paths have crossed yeah uh but i see you in instagram stories from a few different people you know that sort of keeping up and you're always like making people laugh and yeah. you're always the you know again air quotes i like to use air quotes yeah. life of the party type thing is that like something natural or is that you like how do you how do you always seem so happy i guess yeah i i mean i i think it's natural uh i don't know i just like having anytime i get together people i want to have a good time want to make fun memories uh i'm all I enjoy telling jokes. Not, I'm not good at like telling jokes, but I like like funny moments. And mm-hmm. uh, and then the, even I was, I was thinking today, I was telling a friend of mine that we we're doing this, and I said, you know, he probably knows me from Instagram, from like different people's stories, and I'm always <laughs> napping in people's stories. People That's always, true. People I've always seen. get into stories of me napping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so if I come to your house, I'm probably going to find a couch and a really comfy blanket, the most comfortable <laughs> couch, and take a nap. Uh, but yeah, love to laugh. I, I don't know. I just I think it comes naturally. Cool. Yeah. Um, what's your, uh, pl- not to get too deep, what's your plan for your life? Like, where do you want to, is your political career going to last 40 years? Or if it does, I might have an issue with it because <laughs> I really like the idea of term limits and all that. Well, no, I'm just kidding. Like long politician. Um, but do you want to grow a business? Do you want to be a pastor? Do you want to be a politician? Do you want to do all of those things? What's kind of your yeah, vision at the moment? People ask me that. I, I really don't know the answer to it. I will say uh, the job I have as executive pastor is kind of, it, it's a dream job. I mean, I get to invest in our church and help move it forward. And I love business. I mean, like I said, get my MBA. And so I love business and even helping the church operationally, like be mm-hmm. efficient. Mm-hmm. And so many churches have goals to reach people, but they have zero plan to get there. Mm-hmm. And while their heart's awesome and it sounds great, it's like, how are you going to get from A to B or more A to Z? Um, and so I love getting to do that. Also, I get to work with some of my best friends, uh, which is which is great. I get to, I'm kind of over hiring as well. And so I've hired some great friends. Nice. <laughs> um, and while we cut up and joke a ton, like we can get down to business and run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fun. So yeah, I might be doing this forever. Cool. Yeah. That's good. What, um, how do you hire the right person? 
how do you hire the right person? Because um, you have you said you have three people working in your business. Yeah. And then you've uh, hired for the church as well. Yeah. Well, I'm a pastor, so I'm throwing it out there. Hire Christians. Okay. Uh, and so what, what I mean, I mean, even the job I had, like I said, that janitorial job where the guy hired me, he, I mean, I don't want to say he struck gold because I don't talk highly of myself, but <laughs> for him, like seriously, like he even said, it, he's like, man, like this hire kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, and I, I'm not trying to discriminate. What I mean by that is don't just hire cultural Christians. If someone says they're walking with Jesus, they're, they're going to be faithful in the little. And that's what you need. When, you, when you're hiring someone, you're not hiring someone to do their job description. If you're hiring on a job description, that's not the way to hire people. It's mm-hmm. hiring people who are willing to say, hey, I'm willing to get low. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to help this business, this church out, whatever it may be. Uh, just tell me what to do. Like, tell me where you need me. Or, or even they see where the needs are and they step up. Uh, and I th- and so I said Christians, and then secondly, I would think hire friends. And I'm not, I don't want to get weird. Like even I'm running for politics. I'm not trying to pull my friends in office. So don't don't yeah. hear that. But <laughs> if you hire people you enjoy working with, it's more than a job. And typically, you're not just going to try to punch the clock and hit eight hours. It's like mm-hmm. after work, my quote unquote hours. I mean, I don't even have a clock. You know, like my work is my life, and my life is work. And so. Me and my buddies are like talking ministry all the time because that's what we care about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, imagine the same here. Like you guys are so into, you know, so yeah. it's like it's not, it's work, but it's not. Yeah. So, it's easier um, to build a good team yeah. when people like each other. Exactly. Yeah. And people want to be. People want to be at staff meeting. People want to even grab lunch after staff meeting. Like I don't want to leave yet. And so, <laughs> that's fun. Uh, so yeah, cool. That's that's that's. Um, can we talk about COVID for? Uh, Let's talk minutes. about COVID. Yeah, because I, I was curious to hear, um, I guess your general take on things becoming a politician again. Yeah. Um, because th- it's become very political, it's and true. there's lots of opinions on yeah. both sides and that sort of thing. So um, I guess what uh, do you feel? I'll start try to keep it as local as possible because sure. that's the yeah. most relevant to us. Uh, do you feel that the local government governor, since he's in town, um, uh, he works out of this town? Sure. The governor and the mayor and the metro. Do you think that their handling of the situation for Baton Rouge has been? Wow, well, I sounded. I had like Baton an accident Rouge. when I said that. That was Dem do Springs right there. <laughs> Please don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think they've done a good job? What would you have done differently? And sure. could things have been done differently? Yeah. I think on a national scale, I don't want to say we overreacted, but we, to a certain extent we did, we were following, and this we were following the death rate. Mm -hmm. And then it started to following the number of confirmed cases. Mm -hmm. I think you've got to, if you follow the death rate, that's a great indicator. Mm -hmm. And so if you look in East Baton Rouge Parish, which is actually talking to the corner of East Baton Rouge, uh, two Thursdays ago, he spoke at Rotary and I was talking to him after, uh, he spoke on this issue and on average right now, at the time of recording this, so August... I what is know, today? 18th. 18th August 19th, 18th yeah. today. Um, on average right now, we're having about three deaths. Um, and so... Three deaths per day? Per day. Okay. Yeah. And so <clears throat> while that number... I don't, I don't want to discount like it, it's three people, um, but it's not it's not crazy. You know, it's like... Yeah, I don't know what to say. Like, if you look at the numbers as a whole, it's like people get it and typically recover. And typically there's uh, five reasons. On the most part, there's underlying reasons people are at risk. And so that affects it. So, like, 
they're at risk because they have diabetes, their age, you know, other pre-existing things. If, if those people are at risk, I'm, I'm saying stay inside, mm-hmm. you know, don't go around people. That makes sense. But when it becomes to people like you and I who are relatively healthy, have nothing pre-existing, if we got it, we would, we would recover, uh, statistically speaking. And so, um, that's, that's where the issue is. I think if, yeah, I mean. So you, you, in your opinion, then some of the restrictions that they've put on this, I guess the state mainly is what they're doing at the state level, um, have been too excessive and too long or just right, but maybe too long or I would say a little excessive and I think let people make their own decisions. Like a lot of businesses are having to shut down because everything had to be shut down. Right. It's like yeah, like the bars. Yeah, like, and the bars is a big one. Yeah. So, do you think like, that they should have not shut down bars, or they should be open now? Or I, so here's what I say. I say people. In, so I think if a business wants to be open, let them be open. That's okay. their choice. And then let people use discretion. Like use common sense. If you are at risk, if you are older, if you have pre-existing, then don't go out. Like go like go out as you need. Wear a mask. Yada yada, uh, but if you're relatively healthy, uh, go out and all. But also still take caution. Like don't be don't be an idiot. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you use caution. And if you're feeling ill, stay home. Uh, wear a mask. You know, th- it's just like let's use a little more common sense. I think we're using more blanket statements for everyone. Yeah. Um, and we've taken the, the common sense element out of this. Uh, is there so? Uh, is there something that you would want to pursue? I get, actually. I, if you're elected November November third, when do you t- actually take office? Uh, it'd be January. Okay, so yep. that would that's probably gonna be a whole different picture um, concerning With COVID. COVID. Yep. Hopefully, it is at least. Yeah. Um, I was gonna I was gonna ask what you know is there something that you would pursue when you're in office. That to remedy some of the issues you think we currently have with the way that the that they're handling the pandemic. Yeah. I, guess. I would sure hope every like things would be open. Yeah. At the, you know. The, the phases, I, I understand why it was there. It was like, hey, we don't want to overload hospitals. Right. We are past that point. There are enough ventilators. We're, we're past that point. Uh, and so I think I, the changes I would have made, I, don't, I think, you know, right now things are starting to open up. I would just take the restrictions off and say, if you are a small business or, or if you're at church or whatever, you're welcome to have whatever you want to have and let people make decisions. I think whenever it comes down to government making decisions for us, that's where there's issues. Because here's the thing, you're letting government make decisions, but it's affecting my dollars, it's affecting your dollars. But a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the government's not going to be right. And sh- you know, like, yeah. there, there's no there's no long-term, I mean, they're the you know government, but there's no long-term, like, if, if you go into debt right now, 20 years from now, you're still in a pickle because of them. Their hands are clean. They're not, they're not coming to help you. Yeah. So... If you're gonna make long-term impacts on my life, I should at least have a say so in that. Of like, hey, if I want to have, if I want to try to open my business, people may not come, but if I want to be open, let me be open mm-hmm. uh, and let people use discretion. And I do get initially why sometimes you let people use discretion and they go crazy. So <laughs> I, I get the initial precautions, but I think w- once we were fine in hospitals and once it was death rates low but cases are high, that's 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 where we could have made changes. Right. There was actually, speaking of the parish, Livingston Parish, yeah. there's a barbecue place over right close to where I live. You pr- might have seen it in the news about they were reported for not having distancing and not having masks, and then they got their license revoked, and then tons yeah. of people showed up to yes. eat there. And, I think I saw the headline and read the article. Right, yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, I think they're... 
again, it's hard to tell because you don't know everybody, but I think there might be a little bit more of a of a sentiment along those lines of yeah. it's time to yeah, it's time to reopen it, reopen things and yeah. get back to normal. Um, so uh, another kind of maybe uh, give me a tip type thing, and, and again, I've said this a few times, may come naturally to you, but um, you know, being in a pa- uh, pastoral role and especially now going into political office, something new you've never done before. Yeah. Um, and then, like you mentioned, you were in some clubs uh, at LSU yeah. and involved with people. I was wondering at first, I was like, nightclubs? I run nightclubs? Not, <laughs> not nightclubs. I don't know. Maybe you did. No, okay. <laughs> Student organizations. <laughs> <laughs> Student organizations. Um, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of different things happening, all involving people. Yeah. And uh, usually people, whenever they're in a new situation or in front of people or talking to people that are, that are new, it's uncomfortable for them. So oh, yeah. sounds like you're pretty comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Yes. Do you think, was there, was there like a period where you had to overcome that? Oh, or? Sure. yes. So in ninth grade, I was, so growing up as a child, I hated public speaking. Like really? Okay. Could not, if I stood in front of people, I would get beat red. <laughs> uh, and so ninth grade, I did a book report. It was a great book. It was Quiet Strength by Tony Dungy. Oh, nice. So I know the title. The football I, coach. Yeah, yeah, the football coach, exactly. So I read that book. I still know the title and the author to this day. I got up in front of my class and said, the name of my book is Quiet Strength, and the author is in blank. And, like, I had a whole book, like, loved the book, really did. Like, it was mm-hmm. still, you know, one of my favorite books to this day, and just blanked. And my teacher said, all righty, uh, who wants to go next now that Jonathan... I clearly didn't prepare for this <laughs> and like was scarred, ninth grade scarred. Uh, and then I guess, I mean, I don't think that helped me. Uh, it's a memory I have. Uh, but I think I, I was just put in situations where I kind of had to speak in front of people. And so it was a learned trait. It was, well, I mean, they got me queued up to speak on a Sunday or they got me queued up to speak at Rotary or, Hey, I want to raise money to dig wells. I'm speaking at a school with 500 kids. <laughs> I just got to get up there and, and, and fake it. It's honestly fake it till you make it. My, I had another teacher who, not the ninth grade teacher, 10th grade teacher. She said, just fake it till you make it. <laughs> and so I just, you just kind of own it. And if you seem confident, people typically trust you. And yeah. Nice. That's good. Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. Uh, do you have anybody in, in your life that's like, I know you mentioned earlier you're heavy on the mentorship yeah. uh, thing for kids. Is there, is there anybody in your life that's been a mentor to you? And then uh, what are some things that you value from that, if there is, and how yeah. you're going to use that I have for the younger generation? I have so many mentors. And like some of them aren't even official con- uh, in, like official capacities, official roles that they, they might even know they're my mentor. But there's so many people that I look up to. And even I, I mentioned like I'm always grabbing lunch and dinner with people. A lot of those people I'm like, can we grab them? I'm texting them. I'm going out of my way saying, let's get together because there's something either I value in them or want to, like, I feel like I can learn from them. And once again, you can learn stuff from anyone. Uh, but yeah, th- there's so many people. And then your question was like, what, what do you, what am I? Yeah. Like what's uh, are, are you trying to mentor? What, what are some things that you're going to take and, yeah. and mentor as you get older? Sure. I mean, in church context, we call it discipleship. And so teaching one, you know, Christian or one believer, how to be a lifelong obedient follower of Jesus. That's, that's what, kind of what we say discipleship is. Mm-hmm. But mentorship is very similar. It's, it's, I would say it's teaching one person how to become a better citizen, a better person, a better investor in the community. Um, and so there, there are people I quote-unquote disciple, and I'd call it mentorship as well. Um, and even one thing that I want to get better at uh, is even there's a... We've talked about school systems already. 
but even wanting to become a mentor in a school. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. preaching that right now. We need to do that. Mm-hmm. That's something I want to do. And, and kind of, and, and so there's a couple organizations. There's one, Empower 225. Yeah, uh, heard of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that our church recently got connected to. And they mentioned they do some mentorship uh, programs. And I said, hey, we're jumping in. Uh, I sent an email, I think this past weekend, uh, to them and said, hey, give us the details. Uh, cool. So that's something that I, that's something that I want to take a step in doing. I think in my church context, there are people that look up to me that I meet with, but I want to go once again outside the bubble mm-hmm. and say, hey, how can I go outside my bubble and mentor people? Cool. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned getting lunch with people a few times. What yes. are some of your favorite lunch places around here? Ooh, I, so I go th- I go through waves where I like eat at one place consistently, and then a uh, couple lunch places. One that's been my favorite, yeah, Torchy's Tacos. I just opened. Oh yeah, yeah. By, by campus, I haven't I, been yet. I have been probably three times this past in the past seven days. Nice. Uh, so, <laughs> have I, you had to wait in line? Yes, I've had to wait in line, but you can call ahead. So, oh, okay. I've been I've, I've done that recently. Uh, the first couple of times I was wait, I was waiting. Uh, Torchy's is great. Um, I really love El Bacha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Greek mm-hmm. and Lebanese. Some, mm-hmm. some yeah, some good hummus. Um, I think of like favorite staples. This is one chicken shack. Have you been to chicken shack before? Is that on Acadian? Yes. Okay. I drove by it the other day. I think the first time I've ever seen it. You need to get chicken shack. Chicken shack is phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> it's not healthy in, in the, oh, any I, way, I imagine it's probably but not. it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, it's a staple in town. Nice. Uh, Have you shack. had uh, triplets blue store chicken? Yes. That so stuff's legit. My, yeah. My friend had it for the first time, maybe a week ago. And somebody was like, yes. Yeah. I was like, we need to go again soon. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm trying to think about it. I I eat I eat so so funny thing about me, I only eat out. I'm, I don't cook at all. I I'm love just, that. I'm, I am a terrible cook. I wish I could do that for every meal. So, so I eat twice a day because eating three would be too, way too expensive. So I eat out <laughs> twice a day, I eat twice a day. So, so uh, I kind of I've got some variations. So do you, you skip breakfast? Skip breakfast. I don't eat until noon. Nice. Yeah. Is that like a I intermittent fast? No, yeah. I, I don't. I do. do I do it by definition. I do, but it's yeah. not because. Of, I mean, you're very thin. Yeah, it's not because of health reason. It's just because three meals a day would be way too expensive. So is it is it like the money, or is it when you wake up in the morning you just want to get going and don't feel like eating? So both and even like right when I wake up, I'm not hungry. I do. Yeah. I I've got this breakfast club that I've been doing with a couple guys for like four years. Rhett's actually part of that. Nice. Uh, and we've been doing it for four years now, and. I typically don't get breakfast. I, I, I get a water. Mm. Uh, and I love, we go to Simple Joe's, shout out. Uh, and their breakfast is phenomenal. I'm just not hungry right when I wake up. Gotcha. Um, I couldn't be misremembering, but I think maybe at some point I saw, again, in an Instagram story or something, Uh-oh. you doing like stand-up. Have you done stand-up? Never done stand-up. Oh, okay. I thought maybe maybe it was something, or maybe you were preaching or something. I, don't I was know. probably preaching. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk I, uh, kind of the same along the same lines. I yeah. mean, one thing is to make you laugh. One thing is to change your life. But, you know, they're similar. No. Uh, how do you speak in front of people? And like, what what is your uh, that's well, that's a terrible question. How do you speak in front how of people? How do you people? speak? How do you what speak? is your what is your prep like for whenever you're when you're going to share? Are you like a yes. write every word out? Are you an outline? Are you a wing it? I'm more outline, but I practice every word and I practice multiple times. So okay. I am. By the time I share it, typically, like, normally a message, I'm sick of it by the time I get up on a Sunday. Okay. Like, I'm like, I hope people like this, because at this point, I'm <laughs> like, eh. But I've, I mean, I've, I've practiced, and I think a big part of any, anytime you're talking, especially on a public speaking scale, is practicing transitions. Like, how are you getting from one point to the next, mm-hmm. and really building that out. That's the, that's the key. And That's a great tip, because yeah. I would have never thought of that. Yeah, so transitions, and then also initially engaging people. So I'm building, like, I'm spending a lot of time 
how am I drawing people into the subject I'm speaking on? And then how am I transitioning, making it? I, I like to be linear. Some people aren't, but I am very linear. Mm. Uh, I have not been at all organized or linear in this conversation. <laughs> so I hope you that didn't been, offend you. It's been great. I can, <laughs> I can jump around. Uh, but this past Sunday, uh, our pastor, this has never happened in seven and a half years. He came down with a stomach bug Sunday morning. Oh, he, wow. I get a call at, our church starts at 1030. I get a call at 910 <laughs> saying, I've just been, I'm threw up a couple of times. I don't think I can go. And so um, I started looking at old notes, but like I said, I like to be scripted. And I'm like, I know these notes, but and try to put something together. I was like, I just, so I called an elder of ours and I said, hey, I got a favor. And typically I call him for small favors. And I said, hey, I got a favor for you. He's like, oh, what's up? Yeah, what? I was like, can you speak this morning? Uh, our pastor isn't feeling well. And he's like, yeah, I'm in. So he did great. Nice. He is not as scripted as I, uh, but I, yeah, if I'm going to, if I'm going to speak, I'm practicing it time before. Got it. Um, so to put you on the spot here before we close it out, yeah. um, give me your best, uh, you said you're outlined in practice, but yes. it's, uh, the transitions was a big part, but then also connecting with people early. So yes. what you said, so give me like your best pastor joke that you've used in a sermon. So t- I, I'm not a pastor, like some pastors <laughs> open up with a pastor joke, but I all, but I do open up with a typically a funny story. Okay. Um, and so one actually involves your cousin Darian. Okay, uh, I'd love or, to hear this one. Yeah, so so the, this might have been the last message I shared, um, <clears throat> but I was basically talking about how uh, people might think of me as lazy. And I was basically equating it to read the book of James, and James is like this obedient follower of Jesus, and he's you know he got martyred, and like how does that relate to my life? Mm-hmm. Like I am, and I I made it relate, but the opening story was. <laughs> We had a bunch of people op- over at our house for breakfast on a Saturday morning or brunch, whatever. And once again, I don't. Co- I said I don't cook already, so other yeah, people are yeah. cooking. So I'm on the couch watching people cook. Nice. Darian texts me some for some <clears> reason. <throat> I had her spare key to her car, and she lost her key. And she said, "Hey, I, I need my spare key. Uh, can you bring it?" And I said, "Darian, we got people over at the house. We're doing brunch." And she told me, "She said, you know, it's not like you're cooking." And I said, "Don't <laughs> don't judge me. You don't know what I'm doing at this house." Uh, and so. She said, I really need it. I have to go to New Orleans for a photo shoot. And so I texted her probably five minutes later. uh, And I said, hey, um, I forget the lady's name. Let's just call her Sally. Uh, Sally's going to be at your house in 12 minutes. Uh, And she said, who? And I said, Sally, or whatever name was. Sally. She said, I don't know who that is. I said, you know her. I said, you know, license plate, X is in, X-ray, Y is in, (laughs) Yo-Yo, Z, 497. I said, uh, she's got a five-star review on Uber. So I bribed the Uber driver. The Uber driver got to my house, and I said, hey, can you bring this key nice. to you know Darian? And she said, well, we, we, it's not our terms and conditions. We really can't deliver stuff. That's not our job. Yeah. And so I bribed her with breakfast. So I nice. gave her I gave her breakfast. <laughs> that, that someone that, else cooked. <laughs> yes, yes. I gave her breakfast that someone else cooked. The Uber driver, and I gave, and I put enough in for Darian. So um, nice. that just, that goes into the mantra of how people, people, th- I actually hear this. People are like, Jonathan is lazy in his personal life. Like for stuff <laughs> concerning him, he is lazy. But when it comes to like church or business, like he's running and gunning, he's running the show. But people are like, for himself, he's so lazy. So yeah. <laughs> That's also a great story to demonstrate how you're going to get things done when you're elected. That's right. <laughs> I'll care about people, but That's when right. it comes to myself, I'm just chilling. Making <laughs> connections and getting things done. Yeah. Uh, again, thanks very much for meeting me, a stranger that we've never, again, we crossed paths, but yeah. we haven't met. But I really appreciate you coming out and chatting with me. Can you plug yourself? Tell me the website and your yeah. social media things and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So website is Snyder4BR.com for F-O-R. So Snyder4BR.com. 
uh, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, yeah, follow me. Uh, yeah. And okay. you just put out a cool video. Just put out really, yeah. Day before. Put yeah. out a cool video yesterday. It's kind of, <clears throat> you know, letting people meet me and then kind of share my platforms and yeah, some other things. So awesome. Yeah. Thanks again, man. Appreciate yeah, thanks it. for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast with Mr. Snyder. I really hope you enjoyed hearing him talk about a lot of different things. And uh, sorry, Jonathan, that we jumped around so much, but there was a lot of interesting things to talk about and to ask about. So thank you again. Really enjoyed it. And if you want to find out more about the things that he stands for and the things that he wants to get done here in the city, if he's elected to the Metro Council, you can go to SnyderForBR.com. That's F-O-R-B-R.com. SnyderForBR.com. And you can look him up on social media. It's slightly different, but Snyder for Baton Rouge. And that is the, the number four. Baton Rouge. So check him out and get to know, especially if you live in District 11, get to know what he's all about and cast your vote on November 3rd. Uh, And I hope you take one thing away from this. I am doing my best to take away this lesson from this episode is to get more involved in the local politics and figure out what's happening and how the Metro Council works and how everything here in the city works, because that's what affects us. Thanks again to our sponsor, for this episode, Raising Canes of Central. Please go out to Central and see Alan at Raising Canes. Of course, everyone loves Raising Canes, as I mentioned many times. And if you don't love Raising Canes, please stop listening to this podcast because there is nothing here for you. I know I promised you something special here in the end during our Raising Canes ad, and I am not going to let you down. That something special is your feeling right now whenever I describe the delicious chicken fingers and sauce and buttery Texas toast and crispy, salty, crinkle-cut fries and that oh-so-cold and delicious sweet tea. And now that you're hungry, please go buy some Raisin Canes and support the podcast indirectly. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. See you on the next one.